The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. Fantasy football, we are into week two, but we're also talking a little bit of week one as we get through the matchups and the projections for week two. You're listening as usual to Sean and David G. Fantasy Football Almanac Show. David, how you doing, my man? Excellent, man. It's good to finally have some uh, football to talk about again. Oh, my goodness. So I was up, um, we, we talked about this briefly uh, last week on the show, and I said, you know, I, I, I watch every game, especially now considering that we don't have, or we didn't have preseason uh, this season. So I was up um, watching the Sunday night game, which wasn't a big deal. I watched, I, I, I always have three TVs going when I'm watching. That's what I can take in. I can't do four and then two you know, two is boring. So three is the right amount for me. So I watched uh, three early, three late, um, late afternoon, then all of the national TV games, which is great, but I still have six to catch up on because we had a full boat this week. Aye, aye, aye. And I am freaking exhausted. I am And I'm exhausted. a I'm a red zone watcher, so I'll cover oh, that's all good. little gaps. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So I'm really curious um, to dig in. For example, I didn't watch uh, Miami, New England, and I didn't want to flip over because I didn't want to see like, you know, one drive and then that make my opinion. So that's, it's just the way my brain works. So I didn't want to watch any of it unless I could watch all of it. So I'm really, that's probably the first one I'm going to dig into. Buffalo, New York, because the stat line, I know stat lines don't always tell the story for me, but the stat line on Josh Allen looked fantastic, and it reminded me a lot of what um, Lamar Jackson did last year against Miami in Week 1. And I've said all along, if Josh Allen can be a 60% passer even, this guy could explode and the Buffalo Bills could explode, and they kind of showed signs of that. I'm curious to see how it looked you know, when I actually watched the game. Chicago-Detroit, I'm not looking forward to watching that one, but you know, you have to. I did see uh, Trubisky's uh, end-of-game heroics there. So there's a lot of good stuff to dig into, but uh, I did watch, what is it? I don't know what I'm up to at this point. Ten games, eight games, something like that. So I'm tired. I'm tired. But, <laughs> I think most of us are tired after uh, that first Sunday. We built up so much energy and kind yeah. of just released it on all of that yesterday. So, um, you know, we have a lot to get to. So I think we'll just dig into the games one by one. And we'll we'll talk a little bit because just it's just natural. We're going to have to talk a little bit about what happens in week one, uh, you know, there are some injuries and stuff. So we're, we're going to cover that within each game uh, when we talk about the teams on the show. Um, and we'll see how long this podcast goes. I tend to think it's going to be a long one. So let's just dig in, man. Thursday night football. Um, by the way, we're recording this on Monday. So the Monday night football games have not happened for, for David and I yet. So we don't have any enhanced analysis on uh, Pittsburgh, Denver, the Giants, or the um, um, Titans. Did I get all of them? I think I did. Yeah, so um, so we'll mention that when we get in. But Thursday night football, Cincinnati Bengals, Cleveland Browns, a battle of the cream of the crop of the AFC North. Uh, just kidding there. But, you know, two teams 0-1. Um, tough loss for the Bengals. Got kind of, a in my mind, a little bit of a chintzy uh, pass interference push-off call. That's a 50-50 call. Um, I think in most situations at the end of the game, that's a tough one. But it is what it is. Uh, Cleveland got dominated by Baltimore. Is that because Cleveland's bad? I don't think it's all that. Baltimore's just so damn good, and they came out firing. We'll talk about Baltimore when it comes to that. But what do you think Thursday Night Football, man, uh, this matchup? Oh, sorry, I always go through the uh, the projections, and then I throw it over to you, Dave. I'm telling you, man, I need, 
I already had one cup of coffee. I need my second. Let me <laughs> dig into projections, then we'll throw it over to David. Um, for Cincinnati, uh, I actually have uh, Burrow at a 20, uh, which is actually a pretty good projection for him. I knew he was going to struggle last week against the Chargers, but it is what it is. I think he'll use his legs a little bit more. Um, I don't like Mixon this week. I don't really love the receivers, although I'm a little bit higher on A.J. Green than I was last week uh, based on target uh, distribution. And I'm, I have a good projection at tight end from Cincinnati. Me personally, I'm ignoring that, and I'm sitting tight end for Cincinnati. For Cleveland's, uh, Baker Mayfield I have is a sit. Um, Chubb I have as a start. Hunt at this point I think you have to have as a start. Um, and then wide receiver, I want Beckham to prove it to me at this point. I have him on a roster or two. I'm sitting him until he proves it to me on the field. And then tight end, I'm going to stay away. It's a little murky with Hooper and uh, Njoku. Why don't you take it away, David? What do you think? Well, let's just talk about, for one, how, how brutal is the NFL scheduling? Not only are we doing Thursday games in week two, but the Bengals and Browns they put week. These teams could use the extra few days of preparation. They I feel could. like so. And, and I feel be- real. I feel with this this shortened off season, dude. I feel so bad for for the Bengals and Joe Burrow because. Look, man, you, I, I, I'm big on, especially in my professional life, I'm big on position, uh, putting people in a position to succeed. And Joe Burrow against a tough Chargers defense week one, his first look and glimpse at NFL game speed. And you could see, like, he was just like, I don't say, want to say he shook, but he was adjusting for the first, like, three quarters of the game, finally got it going at the end of the game. That's tough. That's tough for anybody, especially a rookie quarterback. Um, and Cincinnati does have talent. I think the thing about Joe Burrow, though, is you got to take away the positives from this game, yeah. this first game, too, because when he did settle in, he brought them down the field at the end of the game, put them in position to kick a, a game-tying field goal. It's not his fault, this kicker, whatever <laughs> happened to him, but he got hurt on that last <laughs> field goal attempt. That was sad to watch. Oh, I mean, my that, gosh. That was a pretty Bengals uh, move right there to see that happen. But you're right, man. Like He, he was put in a tough position. But I think not just driving down the field, he looked good on that scramble to me. So yeah. that oh, yeah. says to me mm. that he's going to be able to move around in and out of the pocket a little bit. Once he settles in, I think this offense really does have uh, probably closer towards the ceiling of the mm. upside than than towards the middle because I, I think Joe Burrow's legit, and I, I came away impressed with him from, from week one. Yeah, you know, I when I saw him at LSU in the national title game, and I don't watch a ton of college football. I mean, I spent all my time covering the NFL, um, but I'll, I'll try to dial in, especially in playoff. When I saw him at LSU, those touch passes, I'm like, man, he's going to be good. And then you add you add Burrow into the lineup. You, you insert him in a, in a team that has Mixon, who's obviously very talented. A.J. Green, who, if healthy— is I mean he's a monster he is uh, Tyler Boyd I mean they have really good receivers it's just tough man and and I always felt that Burrow by the way could also use his legs a little bit more than people think I mean you look at Burrow you think he's going to be passing quarterback you saw in that 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 touchdown run of his um, when Cincinnati was having success towards the end of the game he was using his legs like they will be good but it's going to take him four to six weeks I think to settle down that missed field goal at the end of the game. I'm sorry, Bengals. Look, if you're a Bengals fan, I know it pisses you off, but look, you're not going to win the Super Bowl this year. If anything, that helps you. You know, you probably got a three picks higher in your draft because of that whole situation there. But watch, I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm sorry, Bengals fan. I'm not delighting in your misery here. But watching that kicker walk off the field, the first thing I thought is, hmm, 
what a physical specimen that guy is. <laughs> yeah, he looks like every softball, like slow pitch softball pitcher I've ever batted against. Kicks the field goal, immediately grabs his calf muscle, and I'm thinking that's what I would do if I blew an end of the game field goal. I would, I, ah, 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 it's the calf, it's the calf. Anyway, sorry Bengals fans, but you know seriously, it helps your draft position, so just take it. Um, Cincinnati should have probably won the game, should have kicked the field goal. But bottom line here, fantasy football, I'm I'm gonna be a seller. On Cleveland um, players for a while until Burrow settles in, but I'm confident that when he settles in, um, they're going to be solid across the board. I don't love tight end there, but I mean the receivers and Mixon, they're going to be good. And let's, then, let's talk about that too for one. Case, if I can jump in, because there's definitely uh, some concern for Joe Mixon after that Week One finish, mm. and a lot of it it has to do with Gio Bernard stealing some playing time, stealing some snaps, stealing some targets. Mm. We saw this happen last year. Yes. Last year, week one, Gio Bernard was RB35 for week one scores. Joe Mixon, RB57. So Gio Bernard outscored Joe Mixon in week one last year. How did it finish? Gio Bernard finished as RB60 total points on the year. Joe Mixon finished as RB13. So don't panic yet. It's definitely not good. Nick Chubb on the other side while we're talking running backs. I think this week is going to be very telling because mm-hmm. – Week one, you can kind of relate it to game script with yep. Cleveland playing from behind Kareem Hunt being that receiving back. If this week, if Kareem Hunt outscores Nick Chubb against the Bengals, that people are going to be hitting that panic button. And it, it's going to be tough. To, I mean, at this point, you're stuck with Nick Chubb. I don't think you can trade him. I think you're just going to have to ride it out. I think that Nick Chubb will will be just fine, but I agree with you. And and one thing that we know for sure is that when Baltimore, you know, really started putting that game away, um, and I, I, I want to say it was like the second quarter, midway through the second quarter, the, the gap of the scoring was getting there. Well, well what did Cleveland do? Um, they started putting in Kareem Hunt. Now, they played some two back. We saw Chubb split out and all that. Um, but my question is, well, first of all, what we can take away from it as fantasy football players is games where Cleveland's going to be behind or having to pass to catch up. They have one more against Baltimore. They have two against Pittsburgh um, right off the bat within the division. That's three games this year that you can expect at least a 50-50 um, um, you know, touch ratio from the two. Uh, I do think that Chubb, when they're playing from ahead, is the back there. But I think it could waffle there. So I agree with you. Um, week two is going to be very telling because I think this is a game that, again, because Burrow, he's still acclimating to the NFL. Um, and I don't think Cleveland played super poorly. I think that they should be favored. They are favored uh, this week. I think Cleveland should be playing from ahead. I want to see Chubb with like two rushing touchdowns. I didn't see it. And then Baker Mayfield, he missed some some receivers that were open. Um, I didn't think the play calling was exceptionally bad. Uh, but we can also... Looking, everybody's talking about Hooper. You know, Hooper's going to be tight end one. Cleveland's playing two tight ends. Um, Joku got the matchup this week. They were going three tight end on the goal line quite a bit. Um, there's another uh, tight end there. I think a rookie tight end there. That, Harrison um, Bryant. Yep. So, you know, Hooper for me, that's the big panic for me right now is Austin Hooper. I, I think OBJ will settle in. He's not an elite wide receiver anymore in this offense, but he'll settle in. I think Chubb and, and Hunt will both have value. They'll settle in. Hooper, for me, is the panic button. Um, I, I sell on him or wave him and pick up somebody on uh, waivers like Dallas Goddard, who we've been talking about all offseason, but we'll talk about him in a bit. Especially because I think the selling point was Hooper was that relation to Stefanski with that 12 personnel. Oh, he likes a tight mm-hmm. end. 
heavy formations. But you look at Minnesota last year, it that wasn't good for Kyle Rudolph, who was the number one tight end. Right. It just meant split tight end targets. If mm-hmm. anything, it was a bad thing. So I think you're right. Definitely a lot of panic on Austin Hooper. And I think Baker Mayfield is dragging this whole offense down. Congrats to you because all offseason long you were making that Minshew Mayfield comparison saying how Minshew's a better mm. version of Mayfield. He does everything Mayfield does, but better. I've seen that all over Twitter today. And all uh-huh. I can think is that, that's Sean right there. He's been <laughs> saying that all offseason. You know, he loves Man, Minshew, I can't wait to talk about him in a couple of games. So let me hit you with the line. Um, we're actually sitting even last week. I mean, for me, mo- week one's always a moving target, man. But we both are over 50%, which isn't great, but it's not bad. But we also, by the way, have, um, I think, pretty strong picks. We both agree on Monday Night Football. But anyway, um, Cincinnati-Cleveland. Cincinnati's getting six. So it's Cincy plus six at Cleveland this week. What's your pick? I'd take Cincinnati. I don't think Cleveland's that good. I think they're still settling in as a team. I think it's going to be a short week, so I'm not expecting either team to go crazy. Uh, I'll take the close game here. You know, I think that six is a lot of points. Um, I want to take Cincinnati because, you know, the defense played strong. Credit them for for playing the Chargers strong. I also think that the Chargers really whiffed in their game plan. We'll talk about that when we get to the Chargers. Uh, But Cincinnati's defense is good. You know, we've been talking about them offseason. I know Cincinnati Bengals fans think we're we're throwing hate on Cincinnati. They're just a team that's still growing. Um, But, you know, they're healthier. Um, They looked much improved from last season. I do have some concern about Mixon in the in the snap count split. By the way, quick uh, note on Mixon, I meant to say, Mixon went off in the second half of last season when Cincinnati was like running the ball when they were down by 20 points. That's not going to be how the first, you know, eight weeks of the season are going to go. I mean, when Cincinnati's in a game, they were in a game yesterday, we saw what they want to do as an offense. So I'm a little worried um, for, for Mixon, but Cincinnati, six points. I'm going to take Cleveland to bounce back just because I have to believe. I've been saying this now. This is season, what is this, the third season I've been saying this in a row. Give the ball to Nick Chubb. He's at, <laughs> he's he's a top five physical, talented running back in the league. I don't mind Kareem Hunt, you in, integrating him in the offense. Nick Chubb is by far your best player, Cleveland. Why are you taking him off the field? Why are you not running the offense through him? It's blowing my mind. Now, Baltimore, I got. I mean, they they fell behind with Baltimore. That is what that is. I got to think that Stefanski will get that through his head early in the season. So I think Cleveland will be able to run the ball against Cincinnati um, with success just because of how good Nick Chubb is. So I'm going to take Cleveland to cover. I don't feel good about it at all. Um, but And I'm staying away from it in betting, but that's who I take. That was good, man. That was, a, what was it, 10 minutes on Thursday Night Football. Yeah, on yep. the Browns and Bengals. On the Browns, but hey, man, <laughs> but there are a lot. That's there's a lot of juicy storylines in that game from fantasy football, man. With with what we saw last week. Hopefully, every game doesn't take ten minutes, but we'll you know it is what it is. We'll spend the time where we need to. Uh, next game, um, Atlanta and Dallas. Let me just hit you, uh, the Atlanta Falcons versus Dallas Cowboys. Uh, let me hit you with the projections. So I have Matt Ryan as a 19. That's an eh game. Uh, Gurley actually have a good projection on who I. If, yeah, I'll talk about that in a bit. I'm not happy with that. Brian Hill has a decent projection. I don't like that. And I think the numbers are skewed a little bit with how um, effective the Rams running the game was against week one uh, Dallas Cowboys. Let's see here. Uh, Julio, Calvin Ridley, and actually Russell Gage are all starts to me. 
Hurst, I'm going to start him in another one, but we're going to talk about him in a bit. I was disappointed with the Atlanta offense and what they did against Seattle. I'm starting him, but I'm a little concerned. Uh, now, Dallas, uh, Dak Prescott is a definite start to me. I think it's a slam dunk start. Zeke is a slam dunk start. Um, I like Gallup and Cooper this week. I don't like Lamb as much, and then I stay away from tight end. Take it away, David. I think there's got to be a get-right get game for the Cowboys, right? Seattle just dropped 38 points on the Falcons. And you say you like Cooper and Gallup, not so much Lamb. I I like what I saw out of Stephen. He was the second receiver in mm-hmm. terms of receptions and yardage for the Cowboys. I like all three of those guys, especially you talk about Blake Jarwin. He's gonna looks like he's going to be out for the year. So that passing offense should be funneled through those three wide receivers even more. I think you should be starting basically all three Dallas Cowboys wide receivers next week. Yeah, Lamb looked fantastic, I would say, in his first um, his first action. Matchup-wise, I think most of the targets will go there. That's why I'm kind of waiting and seeing on Lamb. Um, let me talk about Atlanta for a little bit. And I wrote this for, for anybody who follows uh, you know my stuff, and I, I send out the ranking. By the way, free rankings. You can just look below on the banner. You're going to see everything. You can connect with me and David. All the links are there in the show notes below. Um Hayden Hurst bothered me, okay? So you get 12 targets apiece for Jones, um, Ridley, and Gage. And Hayden Hurst gets five. And he didn't look very impactful for me. He's a matchup nightmare. Now, Seattle, credit Seattle because their defense played a little bit better at tight ends, or at least covering the tight end than they did last season. But Hurst, what really bugged me, it wasn't wasn't the targets because those are going to ebb and flow. But whenever there was a bit of physicality, he kind of withered to me. And that's one of the games I did watch live. Um, you know, he had he's going to be facing off against linebackers. Linebackers, what do they do? They're not cover guys like defensive backs are. They're going to try to rough you up off the line of scrimmage. You know, he's a slight guy. You know him from Baltimore, David. You, you rooted for him. There's a reason he wasn't on the field. There's a reason Boyle and Andrews were there because there was a physical toughness there. And Baltimore likes to run the ball. So I thought, well, Atlanta's more of a passing team. Maybe Hurst will get on the field more. Um, he just didn't put it together. He's got to toughen up. And then also Atlanta, it kind of boggled my mind. Offensively, we know Dirk Cutter, their identity is a passing team. They came out and tried to do ball control with Todd Gurley against the Seahawks, and that got out of hand quickly. The reason that score was as close as it was is because Matt Ryan um, got some junk touchdowns in the last like couple qu- uh, like you know fourth quarter, basically, the last few minutes of the game. Um, I did not like at what I saw from Atlanta at all. They need to get back to what they do, which is passing. That's what they're built for. Uh, what do you think about all that? Well, they certainly passed plenty in the second half. Matt Ryan mm-hmm. threw 54 attempts. When they adjusted. Four. Yeah, but yeah. They're, at the end of the day, it matters. The whole game matters. So 54 passing attempts, that's extremely high volume, 450 yards. I mean, you talk about the three wide receivers. I think Hurst struggling now that it, we have hindsight, I think it's a little more predictable than probably I was giving it credit for. I looked probably a little bit too much at that Seattle matchup and said, oh, Seattle was terrible against the tight end last year. Hurst is a good start this week. I started Hurst over Evan Ingram. I'm already regretting that. Um, but we look at the fact Seattle added Jamal Adams to the team, so they might be better against the tight end this year. And then it just this was Hurst's first game with Matt Ryan. Julio and Ridley... Yeah. They've been with Ryan their entire careers. Russell Gage has been with the team, I believe, three years now. He played with Matt Ryan last year. So I think it was a little bit more having to do with a familiarity issue for Hayden Hurst than it had to do so much with him underperforming. So 
is three for 38 something to be excited about for Hayden Hurst week one? Absolutely not. It is a little bit concerning. But am I slamming the panic button yeah. because he didn't go off in his first week? No. I still think you look at the 54 attempts, they're going to balance out. Those wideouts aren't going to catch nine balls apiece each week. 27 each grabs week. between the three of them, I, th- I think. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, the volume's going to come for Hayden Hurst. If anything, uh, I don't like putting out trade offers post week one. But if someone offers him to you, I mean, I think he's yeah. a good buy-low candidate at this point. Yeah, and he could get waived. I mean, he might be tight end two for a lot of people, so he could get waived this week if there's, you know, it's overreaction Monday and Tuesday, basically. So there's, I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm still going to start him next week. Um, although Goddard is on waivers in my league, so we'll see. I might start him as well, but you know, depends on kind of what shakes out. Um, anyway, let me hit you with the line here: Atlanta plus seven against the Cowboys. Who do you think takes that game? I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say Atlanta, just because I think both teams have a lot to prove. Week two, I think, I think Dallas wins, but I don't think they win by more than seven. You know, it, it's funny when I what I do before these lines is I try to predict the score. I actually would have called the line seven. So I, I, this is one I would stay away from. It's one I think is a push, but I'm going to take the points here just because Atlanta can put up points. Um, even if they're losing by 20 uh, going into the fourth quarter, it's something that they can close the gap on and close that spread. It's a big line. So I think Dallas is going to win, though. I will say Dallas, um, you know, of the, what, six, I've, I've watched eight games so far. Dallas impressed me. I think I thought that was a very high quality Sunday night game. I think Dallas um in that new system, they came out maybe a little shaky in the first two quarters, but they played well whereas there were a lot of other teams that were a little sloppy um in week 1 which you would have expected. I think Dallas is looking good. I think they're going to be a threat in the NFC East. I think Dallas wins the game, but it's hard for me to take um, anything else other than Atlanta and 7 considering how fast they can put up points. Let's move it to the next game. We have Buffalo um, versus Miami. Let me hit you with the projections. Uh, Josh Allen, I actually have as the number one projected quarterback this week at a 29. Um, I love Singletary, not high on Moss this week. I know Moss got in the end zone last week, but I'm still high on Singletary. Uh, John Brown, I'm not, sh- I don't think he out targeted, but I think he out caught and out yardage, uh, Stefan Diggs. So I've been, I've always kind of felt this was going to be more of a split, um, and more of an addition to Diggs, not to, down taught digs, but I, I was up talking John Brown, as you know, um, um, David, whether or not that, per, you know, persists through the season, we'll see, but I do like Brown, um, digs. I'm going to wait and see, I'm going to hold off and I'm staying away from everybody else. Miami Buffalo bills defense. I honestly do not have a single start on the entire Miami dolphins team. And we have to monitor. I haven't watched, uh, the Miami dolphins versus new England Patriots yet, but I want to see what uh, Gaskin did, uh, um, you know, against the Patriots defense because statistically, obviously, he was the guy to jump out. I, I just want to see what that looked like on film before, um, you know, I overreact to it, basically. But why don't you take it away, David? Yeah, let's start off with the W for you, man. You been you were calling John Brown the wide receiver one for <laughs> Buffalo over Diggs a couple weeks ago, and I was like, what? You know, I, chemistry crazy. It, chemistry matters, man. And, and John, it, what we know about Josh Allen is he'll chuck it downfield and – you know, it's like that old uh, Gronk and Brady connection. It's like what we've been talking about with Minshew and Shark. Chemistry matters. And, like, not to say that Diggs isn't a valuable part of this offense, but that's just not going to go, you know, chemistry doesn't go away with additions of other people. That's kind of how I felt about it. 
And I think it's only one game, but to me, yeah. it, it is very indicative of the fact that Cole Beasley's the odd man out here mm. and that it is a one-two punch with Diggs and Brown because I think Allen went to Beasley a little bit more just kind of as a check down, but by default, he wants to push the ball down yep. the field. He wants to throw it deep. He's got that big arm. He's a risk taker. It just aligns for him to really take those shots to Diggs and Brown on each each of the outside positions. So I think Brown is definitely a massive value. I think he's here to stay this season. And Josh Allen, is I, is that his first 300-yard passing game, I believe, in, in his I'm, entire career? I'll go with you on that. Yards, I'm not sure. 46 attempts. So we'll have to double-check that. But it's looking good for Josh Allen, especially when you consider he still ran the ball 14 times, 57 yards. He led the team in attempts, had a rushing touchdown. I mean, I don't think I was anywhere near high enough on Josh Allen as I should have been this year. I was expecting passing progression, but I think I was expecting a little bit more uh, of those rushing attempts and touchdowns to come down, especially with Zach Moss being mm. out. It doesn't look like that's going to happen. It looks like Josh Allen is full steam ahead. You know, it's interesting. So Josh Allen, I had projected um, in my top 10, in terms of you know my, my computer projections, in my top 10, I think I had him ranked a little bit lower just based on where you could get him in the draft. I think I mentioned at the top of the show, but um, and I haven't watched the game live yet, so I'm going to withhold my opinion. But just statistically and kind of what I was surveying, you know, as as we see in red zone and you know stat lines and all that stuff, we saw Lamar Jackson break out in Week One last year, and you're just like, holy crap, Lamar Jackson, he's he's a passer now. When he was hitting like Marquise Brown, and they went they they threw a fifty burger up on Miami last year. Buffalo comes out immediately, starts scoring touchdowns. And Allen pushing the ball downfield. I want to see what it looks like, you know, with my own eyes and everything instead of just reading that stat line. But I got to say, you know, everybody was on Kyler Murray to be the quarterback to take the jump, right? We look at the second-year quarterback that can run the ball and throw the ball. He's got, you know, and not to say that won't happen, but we've been forgetting about Josh Allen. He came into the NFL raw, um, and I, I've said, look, he's a 53% passer. Can he get that accuracy up? Well, he did uh, yesterday. For me... I'm going to try to grab him in my leagues. I'm going to make trades uh, because a lot of teams have him as the backup quarterback. Be aggressive, I think, with Josh Allen. You're not going to be able to trade for Kyler Murray. It's not going to happen. Of all the quarterbacks that could take the leap, Josh Allen is the one you should trade for, and who we'll, uh, we'll talk about in a little bit. Gardner Minshew is the one you should pick up on waivers, um, which I think you, you're, you've been high on Gardner Minshew, so I'm looking forward to talking about that. But, yeah, man, Buffalo pushing the ball downfield. The completion percentage is there. I, I think... Man, this could be a scary Buffalo Bills team. This could be last year's Ravens if Josh Allen can hit that sixty to sixty-five percent, like we saw Lamar Jackson go. You know, between his rookie and second year, can Josh Allen do that same thing between year and two, uh, year two and year three? And I agree with you on Beasley, by the way, too. Um, Diggs, I think, negates Beasley's uh, value, so that's going to be a tough go for them. Let's talk about one more thing too on the flip side, just because I feel like we can't brush over this. Is Miles Gaskin? What's yeah. going on there? Yeah. I mean, who saw that one coming? He had nine attempts, 40 yards. Mm. Matt Breda had five for 22. Jordan Howe had eight for seven and a touchdown. And Gaskin also had four receptions for 26 mm -hmm. yards. I mean, who saw this coming? Are, are you buying Gaskin? Do you think this is a split committee? Do you think Gaskin's going to be the lead guy? What's your in initial reaction? You know, and again, I haven't watched it yet. And I was trying to get to this before we recorded so I could have some answer. But my my reaction is I don't know. Um what ends up happening, I think, on the stat sheet, I don't want to overreact to that at this point. Um, 
you know, if if Gaskin could have got, you know reeled off like one or two runs, maybe you know how good the Patriots front can be. I thought that Howard was going to struggle with yards per carry, so I wasn't super surprised. I would have liked to seen more than he got, though. Jeez, that so that is a concern. It is a good thing that he got the touchdown. That's a good role to have. Um, but you know, is was it a case where New England clogged the line of scrimmage and then Gaskin comes in? He's a change of pace guy and he has like a giant hole or two to run through. You know, there are reasons for that. So I need to see that part of it. But it's a concern because I've yeah. been high on Jordan Howard all off season. That's an awful yards per carry average. I mean, you should at least be able to get three yards per carry even against a good defense. That's a concern for me. It really is. It's good that he got especially, the touchdown, but... Pfft. Especially you talk about the receptions. He was the only running back out of the three to have mm-hmm. a reception. He had four for 26. The other running back to catch the ball, Patrick Laird, two for nine. So you talk about Brita and Howard, they're not even getting any receiving yeah, work. Yeah, wild. The rushing work's not going to be too hot. I mean, I could see these guys getting dropped in a week or two if they don't bounce back. Yeah, um, I mean, you have to be reactive. In the, I'm, I'm still holding Howard. Um, I didn't have him starting this week because I didn't like the matchup. I'm going to hold on him, but it's a concern, especially Brita. I mean, you would have expected if, if, if somebody was going to take this, you would have expected Brita to get in there, um, but... We'll see. I'll tweet at you when I watch that Buffalo game. I'm going to get to it um, sometime this afternoon. And uh, when I post this video, maybe I'll post some commentary on it. Let me hit you with the line, man. It's Buffalo minus 5.5 versus Miami. Who do you got? I'm taking Buffalo. They look good right now. I I like Fitzpatrick in the revenge game narrative a little bit. I I don't think he's going to throw three (laughs) interceptions and no touchdowns like he did week one. But Buffalo, they seem legit to me, man. I think they're coming together as a team. I, I, you know, it's all about whether or not Josh Allen grows as a passer. We saw signs of it in week one. If this is a confirmation in week two, I'm telling you they're a 12 and four, 13 and three team. Um, I, with respect to the Patriots and what they were able to do with Cam, who we'll talk about in a bit, Buffalo to me showed signs of being last year's Baltimore. Um, I've been kind of high on Buffalo for a while, just based on that defense. If, if Allen could take that leap, dude, with Stefan Diggs there and, and, and the weapons they have, I like it. I like it. I do. Um, I'm going to take Buffalo just because of that. Um, I like Miami to, to improve just like you do, but I think Buffalo right now is in another class. Um, so I'm going to take Buffalo and lay those points down minus five and a half. Let's move to the next game. We have the Carolina Panthers versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, it's a big line. Let me hit you with some uh, with some projections here. I actually don't have a great projection on Bridgewater this week. Uh, McCaffrey, I have a great projection on, as I will every week, I'm sure. Robbie Anderson to me and um, DJ Moore are both starts. I'm staying away from everything else. For Tampa Bay, I think Brady will bounce back. I don't have the best projection on him. I think he'll bounce back a little bit. Um, Ronald Jones, I actually do have as a start. I'm worried that Fournette will eventually eat into those snaps the more acclimated he gets in the offense. Uh, but, but Jones took advantage when he had opportunity. He out, uh, basically, yards per carried um, for net, which would have been my concern going in. Uh, Evans and Godwin, um, I am playing. Tight end, I'm a wait and see, just based on, you know, O.J. Howard, Gronk. I would have thought o- uh, Gronk would have gotten more snaps. O.J. Howard got the touchdown, and he was a fixture. It wasn't a fluke thing. Um, he was a fixture in the offense all day long. So take it away, David. There's a lot to unpack here with these two teams. Yeah, let's talk about two teams that kind of disappointed in week one. I think we were both expecting a little bit more out of each of these teams. I'll start with Carolina. They put up 30 points, but they put up 15 of those points in the fourth quarter. They went into the fourth quarter with 15 points against the Raiders' defense. And this 
the final score looks like a little bit of a shootout, 34-30, but this game was not as explosive mm. as it should have been, I think. Teddy Bridgewater, I've been hyping him all year. He underwhelmed. Mm. 22 at 34, 270. It's good. It's not great. Only one touchdown. I think there's a lot of uncertainty in the wide receiver room. DJ Moore only had four for 54. Robbie Anderson was the leading receiver. So I'm looking for hopefully some more clarity to come mm. out of this week. I think Tampa Bay looked gross. Tom Brady looked sharp on the first drive, and I was mm. like, okay, Tom Brady came ready to ball this year. And then I didn't really see that for the rest of the game. Yeah. So you already mentioned Gronk. It ain't looking good for him. Two receptions for 11 yards. Yeah. O.J. Howard had four for 36 and a touchdown. I think you're going to see Gronk get dropped this week. I don't think people are going to wait till next week. He's going to get dropped in some leagues this week. I don't know if I'd pick him up. I don't think I would. Not until he shows something. Not until he has a double touchdown game. Something like mm-hmm. to show some upside right now. He just doesn't have it. Fournette didn't look good. Ronald Jones got the carries. He didn't do much with them. This offense is is definitely worrisome right now, especially with the amount of mouths to feed. If they're not a top-tier offense, it's going to be hit or miss on a weekly basis with a lot of these guys. Yeah, so I did not I have not yet watched Carolina versus Vegas. So it's again, you know, one of these one of the six games I have to catch up on so far. Um Tampa Bay New Orleans I did watch and we know that uh, that New Orleans is strong against the run. So I'm not I'm not worried that Fournette didn't have a good yards per carry and I've I've never been high on Ronald Jones anyway. So I've been punting on him um for a while so I don't have anything to worry about but if people were drafting him in the fourth round like we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, you should be concerned. Um, Carolina, you know, they were just kicking field goal after field goal. The, the offense was moving the ball in between the 20s, but they couldn't punch it in. So the red zone offense has to improve. And when it does, um, and that might take weeks, but when it does, Bridgewater will have a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more juice at the quarterback position. It doesn't help that uh, Christian McCaffrey is so damn good at running back that he's getting a lot of rushing touchdowns. What was interesting um, and this is stat sheet stuff, not game watching stuff, because like I said, I haven't watched. McCaffrey really wasn't involved in the passing game. Did you notice that, David? Three for thirty-eight receiving. Yep. You know, and of course we're used to the the Norv Turner, Scott Turner. Let's keep throwing the ball uh, to Christian McCaffrey. Is that going to be a trend? Was that a game plan thing? I gotta say, if you're attacking the Raiders. Um, throwing screen passes is a good way to attack that Raiders defense, and Carolina wasn't doing it. So I, that is a little worrisome if you're a Christian McCaffrey owner, I think. Um, though the fact that he got basically all of the carries, you know, that mitigates a lot of that concern, I think. I, you know, Let Carol- me say one thing about yeah. that, too, real quick, because I kind of noticed this as a trend across the league, and it seemed like week one, the even especially in the first few quarters, the first and second quarter, these teams were calling a lot of simple run concepts, yeah. and it seems like it was just in an effort to get these players warm, get them used to that contact. And I think that could have had a lot to do with some of these sure. uh, reception totals. And I think I had to do another guy who is concerning with the low reception totals, Austin Eckler. Yes. Um, we haven't talked about them yet, but I, I think – at least part of it we have to attribute to these players needing to get warm and the coaching staffs calling simplistic plays, especially new coaching staffs like Carolina that are in their first uh, game, no preseason action. This is their first game calling plays. Uh, Yeah. Um, Over to the Tampa Bay offense. 
because I want to I want to talk about the that that play calling distribution when we get to Eckler. So I'm going to save that save my commentary for later in the show on that because I have a, I have a gripe there. Um, <laughs> Tampa Bay, dude, they look disjointed in offense. Like you said, that first drive, he came down just like, ooh man, you know this. Here's what we expected and all that stuff. And then the rest of the game, he just like couldn't buy a reception. And um, it was to me, honestly, it looked like Tom Brady was just it's the familiarity, the chemistry. That's what it looked like to me, and, and credit New Orleans because they came to play, and the defense always gets overshadowed by that strong offense. But i got to be honest, I didn't really feel like New Orleans played exceptionally well against Tampa Bay. Um, and then Tampa, you know, you're thinking, what have we been saying all year? Well, you know what you can count on for Brady's, he's going to throw about 25 less interceptions than Jameis. He threw two in a pick six yesterday. It's like Tampa Bay is like got to be... You know they must be putting a lot of negative vibes out in the universe because they keep getting they keep getting these interceptions. That's what keeps coming back to them. But let me hit you, man, with the over under here. Carolina plus seven and a half against Tampa Bay. I take Carolina. We already talked about Tampa Bay's just not there yet. Mm. They could get there at some point. They're not there yet. I don't think either of these teams is there yet. If you got a spread that's what, seven and a half, I, I'll take uh, I'll take Carolina there. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, seven and a half, you're talking about more than a touchdown. Most games are under a touchdown in terms of play. So just in percentages, Carolina, I think, is the, is the smarter bet there. Uh, Carolina, both of these teams can improve massively. You know, Carolina put up 30 points. It's like they couldn't – their red zone offense sucked, and they put, still put up 30 points. So they can get there. Tampa Bay cut down on the turnovers, um, you know, a, another week of practice and precision and, and meetings with Brady and his receivers and all that stuff. You know, they could come out and, you know, win this game by 15. Really nothing would surprise me here um, other than Carolina winning by, like, 20 points. That would surprise me. But, you know, a Tampa Bay blowout, a close game, a close win for Carolina-Tampa Bay, nothing would surprise me. I'll take the points in this particular matchup, but I'll be honest with you, I'm just going to stay away from it in terms of betting. <clears throat> okay, next game on the list, we have the Denver Broncos versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, a grain of salt here. We don't have week one analysis because as of the time of this recording, neither team has played yet. We record these episodes on Monday morning. So... As best as we can, David. <laughs> Let's give some analysis. I know. I almost feel like we should just skip this game yeah. and just make our best educated guess. Yeah, I don't think we're going to be talking about this one for long, unfortunately. Let me just hit you with some uh, projections. I don't love any projection. And Sutton, at this point, is still kind of banged up uh, as of the time of this recording. I don't even know if he plays on Monday Night Football. We'll see. Um, but, you know, playing against Pittsburgh's defense, a young quarterback, uh, really, I have Fant. And if Sutton plays, I like him. And if Judy, you know, Judy, I guess you can play him too if you're in a pinch, but I don't like it. Pittsburgh, um, the projections are awful because it's skewed with a lot of last season data. But I'm a big buyer on Pittsburgh, as we've been talking about. Roethlisberger, uh, Deontay Johnson, Juju Smith-Schuster, James Conner. I'm going to be pretty much a start on them early in the season. Uh, what do you think, David? We'll see how these teams perform yeah. on tonight. But I don't think you can start anyone against Pittsburgh unless they're like already a top five option at their position i mean this is arguably the best defense in the league mm -hmm. and the broncos still settling in you're not playing sutton against the steelers next week even if he plays tonight and plays well i don't know if you can play him next week against the steelers with the shoulder concern with that defense being great mm. i mean judy he could have a big night tonight i think especially if sutton doesn't play again you're not playing him against the steelers it's just he's a flex right now you talk about the running backs you almost have to start Gordon where you invested in him, but if you have another option, you're probably not starting him next week either. Right. Yeah, the one thing I would say, I guess, with Sutton is if he plays, um, you know, and Locke just basically zeroes in on him like he did kind of towards the end of last season, and you see Sutton get like 17 targets, you know, 
Denver, the one thing I think we can count on is they'll probably be losing this game with respect to Denver fans out there. We just were really high on Pittsburgh, um, so that could mean targets. But you're right, man. This defense is so good, it's a big concern. So without just taking this too much further because we don't have a lot of uh, game um, basically experience yet because we haven't watched the games, it's Denver plus six versus the Steelers. Who do you take in that matchup? I take the Steelers. I think they're legit this year, and I think they're gonna they're gonna have some dominant weeks defensively. Yeah, six um, young quarterback uh, Pittsburgh, really good defense, and they have Roethlisberger back. Assuming Roethlisberger, assuming basically the Steelers make it through this game healthy, I'll take the Steelers um, laying the six points down less than a touchdown. I'm happy with that. So far, David, we have agreed on every single bet. Interestingly enough, that doesn't often happen, but we're there. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. All right, let's move it on to the next game. We have <laughs> the Detroit Lions versus the Green Bay Packers. Quickly, the um, uh, the projected stats, uh, Stafford at a 20. I think that's um, kind of a mid-grade start option. Adrian Peterson, I think Detroit will continue to use him um, and try to pound it. I think Daryl Bevel loves him uh, as a running back, and we saw it last week. Certainly, if Detroit is ahead, you can count on that. I have him as a start, but it's not a great start. It's not a very confident start. Uh, Galladay, if he comes back, I think he's a start. Um, Marvin Jones is a start regardless for me. Uh, I have a nice projection on Amendola, but... You know, that guy is so streaky. I'm staying away from him personally. But if you're a daily fantasy player, he's a matchup guy that could get you some juice. And then Hawkinson, I'm actually a buyer on um, early in the season. He and Stafford, when they were healthy together last year, were good. That was a very limited window. And he got in the end zone last week against Chicago. Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers, we saw four touchdowns. That's a start. Aaron Jones could have had three touchdowns last week, got one. Um, He's a start for me. Uh, let's see here, Devontae Adams. I don't understand why he's always open. He's the only guy who catches passes on Green Bay. He's always open. Credit Aaron Rodgers for knowing when, he, you know, basically <laughs> he got an easy thing. But Devontae Adams, slam dunk, obviously. I like Lazard, um, MVS, Valdez Scantling. He's streaky. So, you know, he had some drops. He could have had a huge, a bigger day yesterday than he already had. I'll take Lazard. I'm going to wait and see on Valdez Scantling, and I'm staying away from tight end. What do you think, David? Well, we talked about the Bengals earlier and how their loss was just so perfectly a Bengals-type loss. Oh, the Lions, man. DeAndre Swift, that my whole oh my my gosh. soul hurts for DeAndre Swift. I mean, I've been hyping him all year. That was like the prime opportunity, man. game-winning touchdown right through his hands. So that, it, that's got to be tough to be a Detroit fan. I feel for you guys if you're a Detroit fan. Yeah, bless your heart. It's rough. It's your soul. But I actually, I think if DeAndre Swift doesn't end up in Matt Patricia's doghouse after that drop, I think this is a good matchup for him because we look, you look, talked about Adrian Peterson, and they were up against Chicago almost the entire game. So mm-hmm. there was the narrative playing with them to keep giving Peterson the ball. It was Swift's first game. He's been missing a lot of practice time with a hip injury. So I think it was all set up for Adrian Peterson to carry the load this week. Right. But then you look at about Green Bay. They That offense is hot, man. Mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers is PO'd. He's on the revenge tour mm. to prove Matt LaFleur wrong for drafting Jordan Love, to prove Danica Patrick wrong for dump, <laughs> dumping him. I mean, he's just out to prove everybody <laughs> wrong right now. So I think Green Bay... They could put up another 40 points against Detroit's defense. I think you're going to see Swift is going to have to be on the field because they, when they were losing that last drive, it was Swift. Even yeah. though he yep. had touched the ball like three times the whole game, they put him in. 
he was the guy in those passing situations. So if we see them have to go to the passing situations, we'll see what happens with Kenny Galladay. But especially if Kenny Galladay is out, this team's likely to be playing from behind. Mm-hmm. And I think DeAndre Swift, we could see him catching five-plus receptions and maybe get in the end zone again this upcoming week. Yeah, that was a tough one, man. And, um, you know, that's a that's a catch he probably makes 98 times out of 100. I mean, it, it, ball hit him right in the hands you could see it on film when the ball hit him in the hands he's looking at the goal line <laughs> you know let me doing... say something let me say something because yeah this is what happens matt patricia when you leave your most talented running back on the field the whole game and on he's the bench cold. you mean yeah on, yeah. The, on the bench the whole game and he's cold and he hasn't played and he goes to make a catch and he drops it this is your fault matt patricia <laughs> DeAndre Swift, he needs to be on the field. He needs to be warm. He needs to not be thrown out in the fourth quarter on the last drive into the game and said, hey, go make a game-winning catch in your first game as a pro. All right, Matt Patricia, <laughs> this is on you. I got it. I, you know, it drives me crazy because there are, there are, there are running backs that you know are the most talented um, and they and they ride the bench and the the whole hot hand and all this stuff. Carry on Johnson, you know, get gets like what seven carries yesterday too. On top of all this stuff, drives me a little crazy. But I don't know, man. That's a that's a ball that I probably would have dropped too because I just been. This is so easy to catch. What's what am I gonna do? I'm gonna try. I mean, I just I, 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 how do you drop that pass? It's a rough one. But like we said with Cincinnati um, in that game, I mean Detroit. You're not winning the Super Bowl anyway this season, so. You know that's an extra. That's an extra three, uh, three draft choices higher in the next draft. So uh, maybe this is the year you want to draft. Is it, it's Lawrence, right? Out of them, the the long haired, the flowing quarterback, the long hair, and, and, and let me Clemson. let me say one more thing right. too before we brush over Adrian Peterson. He probably deserves to be on rosters. Now. Oh yeah. And I don't like saying that, but he outrushed carry on fourteen to seven. He caught three passes, mm-hmm. and that could, he was not a good receiving back, but Matt Stafford just targets running backs. He just does. It, when I put together my Swift on DeAndre Swift, uh, my thread on DeAndre Swift, it was almost all based on the fact that Matthew Stafford has targeted, in most years, multiple running backs. He's never gone below 106 running back targets in any of his eight full seasons. Right. So talk about Swift. He's going to be the main pass catcher. If Peterson can catch two to three balls a week and and be their main rusher, he's gonna he's gonna be a matchup based flex this year. You know, and and don't ever forget that the play call. I mean, the, the familiarity. And this isn't a situation where Matt Patricia has his hands in on the offense and all that. He's handed it over to Bevel. And Bevel, what do we know about him? He coached Lamar. Um, I'm sorry, Marshawn Lynch in Seattle. He coached Adrian Peterson in Minnesota. He likes Adrian Peterson. There's a familiar familiarity on both sides. Yes, I know the offense. Peterson came out and said it's like 80 or 90% different, but there's trust there. And Adrian Peterson, dude, he, gosh, man, like, I, I, he's younger than me, so I can't call him old, but good for him for still chugging. And he looked good. He looked good for the Washington, uh, you know, whatever they were football called last team. season, right? The football team. The last couple of years, he's like ageless. Good for him, man. It's, it's fun to watch him kind of do his thing and what is he like 34 years old now awesome fun times let me hit you the uh the line here detroit plus five and a half versus green bay who do you got give me green bay i think that offense is hot man it's gonna be tough for detroit to stick with them yeah you know green bay's defense also throttled 
what I think is that it is a reasonable Minnesota didn't come out with all cylinders firing, but credit Green Bay. Um, they did a really good job in defensively, and then they played prevent later in the game. So Minnesota ran up to score, and Green Bay's basically defense looks a little bit worse. But when it mattered, when that team was dialed in and playing, they were the dominant team um, through the first like three quarters of that game. Green Bay, I think, you know, wins the game. For some reason, Detroit always plays Green Bay close. If Galladay's in the lineup, I'll take the five and a half points. I'm not betting my money on it. I think Green Bay wins by a field goal. If Galladay doesn't play, I think Green Bay will run away and, uh, and cover that spread. So it's the first one we've disagreed on, uh, but that's contingent on uh, Galladay being able to play. Let's talk Jacksonville Jaguars versus Tennessee Titans. Now, we have not seen the Titans play yet because we have not yet hit the Monday night football games. But let me hit you with projections. Gardner Minshew this week is a, is a mid-grade for me at a 19. Um, you know, do you like uh, the running back situation in Jacksonville Robinson? I don't. I don't like the way Jake Rudin um, distributes running back um, stuff. This game, Tennessee, tough defense. I'm going to stay away from it again, but you know, I recognize you're going to pick the guy up off waivers. It's cool with me. Um, DJ Chark, don't have a great projection on. Oh, no, I'm sorry, I do. I'm reading the wrong line. DJ Chark is a definite start. Um, Chenault uh, looked pretty good. I didn't watch the game live yet, but I like the stat sheet on Chenault, so you can take a flyer on him. I'm staying away from Eifert, but I do think he has value long term. Uh, let's see here. We got uh, Tannehill, I think, is a definite start. Derrick Henry, to me, is a definite start, and uh, A.J. Brown's a definite start, and I'm still waiting and seeing on Johnny Smith. I think he can do better at the tight end position, so let's wait for that uh, Titans D or offense to really show, but I will sound like a complete idiot if he comes out and scores three touchdowns on Monday Night Football. So if that happens, just, just know that I didn't see it yet. So there you go. Take it away, David. Well, let's talk about Jacksonville first, man. I mean, you talked about Minshew maybe mm -hmm. low end. He's, he's between, what, top three, top five quarterback projection for me at this point. Like, <laughs> 19 to 20. This guy was 19 mm. of 20. Three touchdowns and no interception. Been saying it all offseason long. Going to keep pounding the table for Gardner Mitchell. This guy is legit. He's here to stay. I'm sorry, Jacksonville fans, if you had any hopes of getting Trevor Lawrence this next year. I don't think it's going to happen for you. Gardner Minshew, he's going to win you at least six games this year. Uh -huh. I mean, you talk about DJ Chark, three for 25. It's not great. He got in the end zone. Keelan Cole, I don't think we were expecting to see that. Dee yeah. Westbrook will be back next week. Again, LaVisca Chenault, you have to be excited about that. Three for 37 and a touchdown. Also, two rushing attempts for mm -hmm. Visca. He needs to be picked up. He could be Debo light in the second half of the year. Yep. He could be better than what Debo was the second half of the year uh, as Debo's rookie season. And Debo was a top 10 receiver his second half of the year as a rookie. Yep. And then for me, the name that really stands out on that Jacksonville team, James Robinson. Mm -hmm. He he was the one guy who I was willing to take a chance on. Yep. Never had any interest in Armstead or Ozigbo. I know you were a Chris Thompson guy. He was not my thing. From a purely touch perspective, I mm -hmm. haven't gotten into the snap counts. James Robinson is the workhorse for this yep. team. He was the only running back to get a rushing attempt. 16 rushing attempts, 62 yards, a long of 12, 3.9 yards per carry. He also had a reception for 28 yards. Chris Thompson was the only other running back to even touch the ball. He had two receptions for six yards, no carries. So James Robinson, he's probably going to be my number one waiver claim this week, I think. Yeah, uh, and... No argument um, with really anything you said. The only thing that gives me pause about Robinson is is 
Well, look, let me talk about Minshew because it leads into this point. Um, I've been seeing, you know, scheme matters. Jay Gruden is a very good coach. He's a very good play caller, probably a better coordinator than he is a, a head coach, um, which I guess, you know, if you take recent history, uh, that would prove that point. But Minshew, uh, Jay Gruden coached Andy Dalton when Andy Dalton was a top 10 fantasy quarterback. He's coached Kirk Cousins when Kirk Cousins was a top 10 fantasy quarterback. Minshew is good. As you said during the Brown segment, I've been saying Minshew is basically Baker Mayfield, um, better than Baker Mayfield. The only reason we don't hype him as much is because he was taken in the sixth round, not the first overall pick like Baker Mayfield was. I think Jacksonville has their quarterback of the future. I think they'll win games, more games than probably they should because Gruden is a very good play caller. I was surprised that they beat Indianapolis. I mean, I, I was. And, you know, you look at the stat line, I can't figure out, and I haven't watched this game, I need to catch up. I can't figure out how Indianapolis, with the stats and, and the yardage here, would be able to pick up blew this game. Uh, but credit Jacksonville and credit Minshew. They had an extremely efficient offense. And you talk about 20 um, attempts, 19 to 20 for Minshew. James Robinson, 16 carries. That's um, It's not quite 50-50, but it's darn close. Imagine if you know this, this offense really takes off and you could get 20, 25 carries a game. For Robinson, you could get 20, uh, you know, 30 like uh, passing attempts for Gardner Minshew. This offense has the capacity to do that because of their coaching staff. That wasn't in the game plan. It wasn't in the cards last week. But, um, you know, I, there are some players to buy on, and I agree with you. He should definitely, Robinson should definitely be at the top of everybody's lists in terms of waiver wire. Let me hit you with the lineman. It's Jacksonville plus 10 versus Tennessee. Plus 10. I, I got to take Jacksonville, and I want to talk about their defense one more time real quick. Because they're looked at as the smash matchup, right? Mm-hmm. Going into this year, you yeah. you play your stuck play your guys against Jacksonville. We got to challenge that notion a little yeah. bit. I mean, Philip Rivers put up the passing yards. We saw a few guys for yeah. the Colts have good good games. Naheem Himes, especially Jonathan Taylor, had some receptions. Paris Campbell did well, but Philip Rivers had one touchdown and two interceptions. They had they held Jonathan Taylor to two point four yards per carry. I mean. Maybe this defense isn't as terrible as we make it out to be. So let's see what they do week two. Mm -hmm. Let's see if maybe they're not the worst defense in the league. I agree with you. And 10 points is a lot to lay. Actually, when I I made my line... I, I felt like this game would be like a 23-13 to 13 just because I'm high on Tennessee's uh, defense. It, we just gave a lot of compliments to Jacksonville's offense, but I think you know this week is going to be a little bit tougher. But again, we'll see what happens. We haven't watched that Monday night football game yet. We'll see if that, you know, if that's still and it'll the be a shorter a week, weeks. shorter week for Tennessee. So yeah. that does play into Jacksonville's hands a little bit. Yeah. 10 points is a lot to lay. I took Jacksonville as well just because it's it's 10 points. Tennessee's not known for putting up crazy points. And Jacksonville's offense is a little bit better than you think it is, and their defense is a little better than you think it is. All right, next game on the list, we got the L.A. Rams versus the uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, Los Angeles Rams look great, by the way, uh, but let me hit you with some projections. Golf, I have as a sit. Uh, Malcolm Brown, talking about waiver wire running backs. You need to pick him up. We'll talk about him in a bit. Cam Akers, um, let me wait and see on Cam Akers. Um, some some things that I saw in film turned out to, to be, uh, I guess, Slightly confirmed, not a slam dunk, but slightly confirmed in the season. We'll talk about that in a bit. Um, I'm a buyer on Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, seller on everybody else, although I do, again with Higby, have a decent projection on Higby, but I'm still selling on Higby. Uh, For Philadelphia, I'm not a start on Carson Wentz this week. We'll see what happens with Miles Sanders. Um, Don't love Boston Scott either, who I think had to leave the game, at least for part of the game. Uh, Let's see here. Wide receiver. I'm just going to stay away from wide receiver. I'll start both tight ends. I'll start Ertz and Goddard. I'm going to stay away from wide receiver until these receivers start producing. Take it away, David. 
Well, let's talk about a hit and a miss for me here because Dallas Goddard, man, that was felt so good for oh, me yeah. to watch it all yeah. come together week one because he was a starting tight end in the back half of the second year last year, fantasy-wise, mm-hmm. and the concern was, okay, they didn't have any wide outs, the running backs were hurt. Yeah. It was just by necessity. I think week one is – it's only week one, but I'm going to take this as confirmation. It, it wasn't by necessity. Dallas Goddard is a legit player, and – Honestly, he might be the number one receiver for this team this year. I mm-hmm. talked about James Robinson being my number one waiver claim. If I got the run, it's between him and Dallas Goddard. Yeah. I don't think Dallas Goddard should be a free agent in any leagues. I was drafting him all over the place. He was my ideal tight end two target because I've been, I prefer the taking a top tight end, whether it's Kelsey Kittle, uh, Ertz, Andrews, Waller. But I've been pairing Dallas Garter with my Kittle and Kelsey shares all over the place, and now I have trade bait left and right, mm. which kind of harkens back to my selling point. Go tight end early and late in your fantasy drafts yeah. if you can. Get one of those top guys and then take a chance on a guy like Goddard because now you have crazy trade bait. And uh, I'll keep going with the wideouts. I think Deshaun Jackson, he needs to be dropped. Yeah. He was never rosterable, in my opinion. Just he's a 34-year-old wide receiver, hasn't surpassed 750 receiving yards more than once in the past, I believe, five years. I think Jalen Rager showed not only did he play, which is important, week one, he caught that big pass. He's going to overtake Deshaun Jackson as the number one wide receiver. I just don't see a, a worthwhile role or any upside to rostering Deshaun Jackson at this point. Yeah, um, agreed on all points. Um, and Goddard, for me, he actually, <clears throat> I mean, it depends on roster. If you need running back, I'm deep in running back. I'm always deep in running back in my leagues just because I go running back heavy. I uh, I did not pick up Goddard before the season because somebody ended up dropping Deontay Johnson in my league. And so I put a waiver claim on him. I, I did some roster movement around. So I was going to pick up Goddard. Now I'm kicking myself for not picking him up. And getting that um, other, so he's going to be my number one waiver wire um, for me. Now, if you need running back, I mean, Malcolm Brown, who we haven't even talked about yet. Look, this is going to be a running back share. Let me just talk about Malcolm Brown. With the Rams, we know this is going to be a running back share. Who got the goal line carries? Malcolm Brown. Uh, Malcolm Brown, I think he scored about five touchdowns last year, even with Gurley. Gurley got double-digit touchdowns last year. Malcolm Brown will finish with like 12 touchdowns this year. Don't worry so much about the yardage because he'll get something. I'm telling you, he's already got two He's going to finish with 12 touchdowns. Mark I'll, let you, I'll let you say that. You know what I, You know what concerns me about that? <laughs> because last year, Malcolm Brown, week one, 11 for 53, two rushing touchdowns. He didn't have more than 11 carries any game the rest of the mm-hmm. year. He didn't surpass 53, 53 rushing yards any game the rest of the year. He didn't score two rushing touchdowns any game the rest of the year. He had a huge week one. 50-something rush yards, two touchdowns, and then he disappeared. It's a little bit different this year, Cam Akers and Todd Gurley, because Akers a rookie and Gurley was a little bit more entrenched. Mm -hmm. But I want to see it because I was all in on Cam Akers, and I I think he is a really good running back. Did he look good last night? No, he didn't look good. Did Malcolm Brown look good? Yes, he did look good. But do I think it's going to be Malcolm Brown being the leading running back for the Rams the whole year? Uh, I'm not ready to buy into that. Do I think he's going to be the touchdown maker the whole year? I don't know. I'm not ready to buy into that either because last year it started the same way. They liked him in week one. They didn't like him at any point after that. So I want to see what Malcolm Brown does in week two. 
I don't want to overreact to him on the waiver wire. I think there are a couple other guys at running back who I would like more. One of them I mentioned, James Robinson. Um, I think I might even take Chase Edmonds over Malcolm Mm. Brown as a waiver wire ad right now just because the upside is a lot higher in that offense. I think it's got Edmonds as higher upside as a receiver. So I'm a little bit more wait and see with Malcolm Brown. I do think he's going to have value this year. But I, I also think week one could be his best game. Why I think, and all, all points taken, uh, why I think this year's a little bit different, a couple of things. So I mentioned Cam Akers. When I watch, and, and what I do for the Fantasy Football Almanac, when I watch the film and all the rookies and everything, when I saw the Cam Akers film and the way he ran, he was getting a lot of his carries out of the shotgun, running you know behind that FSU you know, not great offensive line, but decent offensive line, getting a lot of yards, kind of like actually what we see Kenyon Drake do in Arizona, you know, run from the shotgun, running, you know, through holes, you know, people expecting pass, he takes advantage of that. But I didn't see him push the pile very, um, very effectively. And when I saw him play against Dallas last night, that to me was not that I'm selling a Cam Akers by any stretch, but I'm thinking, is he the guy situationally that the Rams are going to lean on to, to run out the clock when they're winning? Are they the? Or is he the guy that they're going to lean on situationally? If you are first and goal um, from the one yard line, is Cam Akers going to be in there taking that carry? And I don't think that he's going to grow into that this season. And I would say the same. We've talked about it on the show, Daryl Henderson. Yes, I know this is kind of a three headed monster at running back, but when somebody comes in with draft capital, drafting the first three rounds at running back, and they they get opportunity their rookie year, but they can't take it, like we saw with Henderson. I'm generally selling on it until I see otherwise. So I look at Brown. I don't think he's particularly a great running back. I think starting him would be like going to prom with your cousin. I'm not super high on the idea of it, right? But he's a guy that when I see on film, he's the one running back with toughness in an offensive system that rewards running backs with toughness. Now, Gurley last year, he's a guy that can get you a yard. Um, So, you know, Gurley, I always felt was going to outscore it. That's why I think it's different this season. Um, so that's I'm not. I realize that a lot of people watching this, like you, you know, might might think it's an overreaction. I think it's I think it's more that Cam Akers needs to put on some weight, like what we saw Ronald Jones do this off season. He needs another 15 or 20 pounds to really hit his stride this year. But I do think he has value as well. So there you go. Let me hit you the line, dude. What are we? We're halfway through. <laughs> Halfway through the games, Dave, we're an hour into the podcast. We're going to have to split this into two parts. Um, all right. Let's move a little faster then. Uh, the LA Rams <laughs> plus three against the Eagles. What do you think? Honestly, oh, that's tough. That's I definitely wouldn't bet on this game because I have no idea. I'll, I'll probably flip a coin. Flip a coin? <laughs> yeah. Then I'm going to say that you took Philly. The, the, yeah. the coin landed on Philly just for a little bit of that's- intrigue. I don't know what I'd pick. I'd flip a coin. Um, I didn't watch the whole Eagles game, but I didn't like what I saw. I'm going to go back and watch all these games, as I always do when I make my picks, so I might change this a little bit. But the Rams came out. I said earlier I thought the Cowboys played well. I thought the Rams played better. Um, Give me the Rams. Give me the Rams. You're going to take the Rams? I'm I'm not flipping a coin because Philly's (laughs) offensive line didn't look good. And Aaron Donald, I, I could see him putting pressure. Philly... Let's see the offensive line come together a little bit. Let's see you get some help there first. I'm a little bit worried about that matchup the more I think about it. Yeah, defense in flux. Um, How that defense ended up blowing a lead to Dwayne Haskins is beyond me. I can't wait to watch that and see what happened. The Rams, I think they're a more mature team. Um, They're not the Rams of last year. They're better. I like 
I, and they fixed a lot of offensive line issues, or at least appeared to be fixed. I, I'll take the Rams. Um, the Eagles, man, they need to, uh, one of these years, they need to start fast. You know, we don't want to see them go, you know, 7-1 to end the season, although I guess it's good to enter the playoffs on a tear. But um, I'm a little worried because Dallas, Dallas looked like the better team. Both teams 0-1. Dallas looked like the better team this week. All right, let's move it on. Minnesota Vikings versus the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, both teams 0-1. Um, I thought the Colts would win. That was a bad loss for the Colts and Colts fans. Uh, let me hit you with projections quickly. Uh, Kirk Cousins is a start. Dalvin Cook is a start every single week. Thielen is a start. I'm still starting BC Johnson over Jefferson at this point. Everybody else from Minnesota is a sit. Indianapolis, I think Rivers is a start. Um, I am now a firm start on both Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines. Um... T.Y. Hilton's a start, and I, like, I still like Paris Campbell. Paris Campbell, if you're weak at receiver, I think he's your waiver wire guy. I'm sitting Doyle this week. I still think he has value in this offense and what they want to do, but I'm sitting him. Take it away, David. Let's talk about the Colts first because I hate to say it, but Marlon Mack being out of the picture is like as ideal as it could get. I was already drafting Naheem Hines over Marlon Mack. Right. I, wasn't drafting, I wasn't drafting either of them. But in my ranking sheets, I had Hines higher than Mack just because mm. he has that receiving role. Maybe with Phillip Rivers, there's some connection. I think we came out and we found out it ain't no joke about Phillip Rivers. He likes to target running backs. Not mm-hmm. only did Hines have eight receptions for 45 yards and a touchdown, talk about Jonathan Taylor also had six receptions for 67 yards. Marlon Mack, he was hurt midway through the second quarter. He himself had three receptions for 30 yards. So the running back targets are going to be there, especially now that it's a two-man committee. Naheem Hines, maybe put him above James Robinson. (laughs) (laughs) I said James Robinson. I might have three numbers. He's this year's Austin Eckler, man. It's going to be close. It really is because they don't have a great tight end. Jack Doyle, he's a blocker. He's a complimentary piece. Hilton's getting older. I like Paris Campbell a lot, especially mm. talk about this Minnesota matchup. Green Bay had three wide receivers just torch this Minnesota defense. Adams, Valdez, Scantling, Lazard. You talk about Paris Campbell faced up against Minnesota. I think if you don't pick him up this week, you ain't going to have a chance to after next week. Yep. I mean, it, I'll, let me just talk about the running back. So Marlon Mack, his injury. If you're one of the people, I know you're, you've been high on Jonathan Taylor all season. And we heard the buzz, you know, people thought it might be a smokescreen or whatever. Marlon Mack comes out, he's on a little bit of a tear, and likely, I don't know if it's confirmed yet, but, you know, his Achilles, um, card off the field, it, it's, it's blown. So if you drafted Jonathan Taylor, you know, in my late Almanac calibrated rankings, I was like, you need to drop Taylor a round or two because it's going to take him like six to eight weeks to come through. Well, if you were one of the people, like probably you were, David, that, that drafted him in like the first three or four rounds, breathing a sigh of relief because now Jonathan Taylor, he's going to take this opportunity and never give it up. He's going to be fantastic in this offense. My only question was whether or not Marlon Mack was going to keep him off the field. We don't have to worry about that anymore. Hines, you know, he's somebody that we were kind of, you know, dipping our toe in the water on in the Almanac. At this point, put him up there. He will have season-long value as a receiver. He is this year's Austin Eckler. Get him on your roster if he's not already there. Minnesota, that offense will get better. I credit Green Bay's defense, and, and Minnesota's a little rusty, so I think they'll be better. Man, this is a big game. Um, Minnesota's defense, we've said all along that they, with the transitions they've had, they're going to be a little bit in flux. We saw it in week one. 
Um, Indianapolis moved the ball against Jacksonville. Their red zone Z, uh, offense is going to get better. This is interesting. Let me hit you with the line. Minnesota plus three against Indianapolis. I'm going to take... I'm going to take Minnesota just because I feel like it's a little easier for me to respect losing to Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers, who's on a tear, than Indianapolis losing to Jackson. As much as I like Minshew and I think their offense is good, it, it don't say a lot when you lose to Jacksonville week one. I mean, losing to Green Bay, it's not as bad. I'll take mm-hmm. Minnesota here. I think it's such a close game. I'm just going to take the points. Um, <clears throat> I mean, it's important for both teams. Uh, Indianapolis... Man, Indianapolis, that was a bad loss for them. Um, For me, and we haven't seen Tennessee play yet, but that immediately vaults Tennessee up to the top of the division in my mind. And by the way, we talked about uh, Philadelphia and Dallas already. I'm I'm already saying I think I'm I'm wrong on those two two picks because Dallas looked a lot better than Philly in week one, even in that loss. All right, let's move it on. We got the New York Giants uh, versus the Chicago Bears. Giants have not played yet for, um, you know, for us because we haven't seen the Monday night football games. Uh, Chicago did exactly what I thought Chicago would do. <laughs> exactly what I thought Chicago you know, could do. I think I saw Trubisky was 4-10 for 40 yards. I'm like, yeah, that's a Trubisky stat line. That's, that's, that's a Trubisky we know and love. Um, let me let me quickly hit you with the with the projections here. Uh, Jones, I think is a. I, I'm not. I mean, I think Chicago Bears defense is strong, um, and I think they will be strong. Jones is a sit. Saquon Barkley is always a start. I'm I'm going to start Slayton, and I'm going to start Ingram, um, just because I think Chicago. It'll be a close game, but they'll be from ahead. Trubisky, I actually have as a start. He'll use his legs. He'll do better. I think he settled in in the fourth quarter. I do have him as a start. But let's just call it a daily fantasy start. I'm not going to start him over any other quarterback in my freaking roster. Um, I'm staying away from actually running backs this week, but I am starting Allen Robinson. Uh, Miller is somebody you should pay attention to on waivers. And uh, Jimmy Graham, he got in the end zone. I still don't love him, so I'm going to stay away. Take it away, David. I'm fading David Montgomery. Let's start with that. 13 for 64. He's not involved as a receiver. One reception for 10 yards. And then you just talk about the Giants. They don't have a good defense. One of the good few good things they're good at is stopping the run. They have a yeah. good defensive line. It's their defensive backfield that's more of the issue here. So I think you're right. It kind of is good for Trubisky, Allen Robinson. Anthony Miller looked good week yeah. one. I think he's entering the starting conversation at this point. And you talk about the Giants who you're starting. You're probably starting Daniel Jones at this point almost every week. Against Chicago, if you have a better option, you can sit him. But let's see what he does against Pittsburgh tonight. Yep. Ingram, right. you're starting him every week as long as he's healthy. Slayton, I'm interested to see what he does tonight because if he has a good game against Pittsburgh, and I don't think the matchup is as terrible as I initially kind of had a gut reaction it would be because he's going to be faced up against, I believe, Joe Hayden on the outside, so he's going to have a considerable size advantage there. Fitzpatrick could be used a little bit more towards the middle of the field defensively to cover Ingram. So if Darius Slayton has a good game against Pittsburgh, I don't see how you can turn around and sit him against Chicago. Because if Darius Slayton has a good game week one against Pittsburgh, you're starting him every week until until otherwise. Because the upside is so high on a weekly basis. If he can show that he can perform in bad matchups like he has against Pittsburgh week one, I think Darius Slayton will become an automatic start. Yeah, I was disappointed getting back to Chicago's running game. I was disappointed Tariq Cohen wasn't targeted more. 
Um, you know, you can give some credit to Detroit. I haven't watched that game uh, live yet, but I'll, I'll catch up on that one as well. Uh, Giants, you know, we'll, we'll get confirmation. I'm curious to see kind of what, uh, you know, Jones and the new offense is going to look like. Um, I mean, we kind of see a surprise upset tonight. I picked Pittsburgh, but I could see the Giants coming out and dropping 30 on them tonight. So for we'll your benefit, I'm going to, I'm going to edit that out so that you, no, so that you're not going to get dogged. Because I think the Giants have a good offense in Pittsburgh. Sometimes we just see these teams come out week one, just kind of right off the other team. And I feel like everybody has already anointed the win for Pittsburgh here. So um, let's see how it plays out. I'm, I'm, I'm still firmly on Pittsburgh. We'll see which one of us looks like an idiot <laughs> when people catch this, <laughs> this, this thing later in the, uh, the week. Um, let me hit you just with the line here. New York Giants plus five and a half versus the Chicago Bears. Give me the Giants. I don't think the Bears are a good team at all. I think that the Bears' offense, um, I still have a lot of question marks, but I think this defense is better and better and better. Uh, five and a half, that's too many points. I actually wrote down Chicago, but five and a half, that's too many points to lay down. I feel like this is a field goal game either way. So uh, I'll take the points in that matchup. Next game on the list, uh, this is just what the doctor ordered. San Francisco 49ers versus the New York Jets. Just what the doctor ordered for the San Francisco 49ers. Um Look, tough week. Um, Arizona, I was not surprised at all that Arizona covered that spread. Not surprised that they won. Um, Arizona's a strong team. San Francisco, they had opportunities, but they have no freaking receivers to throw to. We'll see what happens, when you know, who's active and who's not and so on. Uh, San Francisco, projections. Uh, Garoppolo, I have as a start. Mostert is a start. People have been ignoring him. Not me and you, David. People have been ignoring Mostert for crying out loud. Why would you do that? Jarek McKinnon is obviously um, a bigger part of the offense there than Tevin Coleman. You mentioned that last week. That was confirmed this week. Uh, receiver, just stay away until we get some answers there and some starts. You know, uh, Golly, that's a tough one. And then Kittle, um, assuming health, is, is just fine there. New York uh, Jets, I mean, Bell pulls his hamstring. I, I'm, I'm staying away from everybody on the Jets not named Jamison Crowder. At this point, the only reason I'm starting Jamison Crowder is because you know they're going to get at least 150 yards of offense. Probably 125 of that's going to be Crowder next week. Because who else are they going to they going to throw to? So there you go. Take it away, David. I'm going to start with the Jets because I don't have a whole lot to say on them there. Mm. But you talk about Crowder. This information I got from JJ Zacharias and however you say his last name on Twitter. Mm. He posted a little sheet of the top. Uh, market shares of targets mm -hmm. for this was through the one o'clock and four o'clock game so it doesn't include the last night sunday night game or either the two monday night games that happened tonight jameson crowder number three yeah. on the list in the nfl in target share he had 39.39 percent of targets wow. the only guys who had a higher percentage of their team targets through those one o'clock four o'clock games deandre hopkins who had 44% of the targets, and Devontae Adams, 41.46% of the targets. Other than Hopkins and Adams, nobody was getting targeted more often relative to their team than Jamison Crowder. So you talk about it. I mean, I probably wish I had gotten a few more Jamison Crowder shares. He was hyped up as, like, the sleeper wide receiver, the last resort mm -hmm. guy. And he still didn't go high in fantasy drafts. Right. I think we just kind of overthought it with Perriman and Mims. What people could hate the Jets. I mean, the the NFL, people hate the Jets. And by the way, the Jets' defense was a top 10 defense. We talked about this. Like, people hate the Jets. You got to know where the value is. In the system, talking about Crowder, this is the offensive system 
you know, Adam Gase, that slot receiver that sprung Jarvis Landry. I mean, there's a history of performance here, and there's a history of performance with Crowder and Dalton. Uh, not Dalton. Um, is it? No, Darnold. not Andy Dalton. Darnold. 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 I Darnold. can never. Sometimes I call him Sam Bradford. Now I'm calling him Andy Dalton. What the hell? <laughs> what the hell? I was calling Jalen Rager, Ronald Reagan last yeah. week. But really, that's the only, only jet you care about, except for one other guy. And it felt kind of like I took an L this week with Chris Herndon. Yeah. But he caught six passes for 39 yards. Yeah. I've been hyping him up all year. This wasn't supposed to be a good game for him. You look at what he did against Buffalo as a rookie when he was healthy. He didn't play well. This was a tough matchup last year against tight ends fantasy-wise. He came out of it the second most targeted receiver, saw 21% yeah. of the targets. He's healthy. Six receptions, 39 yards. I mean, you can do worse than getting nine points from your tight end in a bad game. I think he's going to go under the radar right. in, on the waiver wire a mm-hmm. little bit this week. Uh, don't let that happen. Pick him up if you need a tight end because six for 39, that's a pretty good bad game for Chris Herndon. Yep, completely. And then I want to you know, talk say about the agree. other side. Yeah. Raheem Mostert, man, was I victory lapping that. Like, <laughs> we talk about the one thing that was holding Raheem Mostert back. Like, he had league winning potential already as a fifth round pick, just being a potential 1,200 yard rusher, 10 touchdown guy. He wasn't going to see a high reception total. That was the only thing putting a cap on his upside. He was the leading receiver week one, the leading receiver for this team. Four for 95 and a touchdown. It's not that he can't do it. It's just they didn't need him to do it last year. The wide receivers are banged up. Debo's missing at least the first three games on IR. Ayuk already missed the first game. He's a rookie. Kendrick Bourne didn't do anything. He looked terrible, Mm. to to put it quite frankly. Trent Taylor, two receptions. Like Raheem Mostert, now that Shanahan's going to start manufacturing receptions for this guy? Mm -hmm. Like, I want to put him in my top eight running backs going yeah. forward. Like I don't, this guy's a league winner at this point. Yeah. And uh, look at the schedule. Look at the schedule going forward. It doesn't get any harder. It's an easy schedule. I hope listeners of the show and readers of the Almanac uh, listens when we said, Hey, draft, draft Mostert. He's slipping into the seventh round. I got him in the seventh round in 10 team in a 10 team format. Um, Man, yeah. So he's slam dunk. I mean, I'm I'm happy with what I got. By the way, if you're a stat line, um, if you're a stat line reader and not a game watcher, uh, that game could have been even bigger for him. Mostert, he was uh, the 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 touchdown that Jarek uh, McKinnon got. The play right before that, or maybe two plays before that, Mostert ran a wheel route, and he was uh, bumped about five yards in the line of scrimmage by the linebacker, whoever it was, sprung open. The play was designed for him. Garoppolo left him too quick. He got, there was nobody in the freaking back corner of the end zone. And the play was designed for him. It got exactly what he wanted. Garoppolo moved through his projection too quickly. Wide open touchdown. Raheem Mostert doing one of these in the back of the end zone. Should have gotten that touchdown as well. Um, the, the scheme was there. The play was there. The opportunity was there. Didn't get it. Ended up throwing an interception. And McKinnon, basically on that same exact play two plays later, got the touchdown so um Mostert's the guy yeah you might see the stat sheet and McKinnon got the touchdown that should have gone to Mostert but that's going to happen there will be games where uh McKinnon will get uh or Mostert will get a touchdown should have gone to McKinnon and whatever but the bottom line here is those two running backs will have value Mostert's a beast so let me let me hit on that one more time because Jarek McKinnon is the RB2 to own in San Francisco Tevin Coleman he's nothing but a handcuff I know I know I know in California California week one had a lot to do 
with the wildfire, the air quality, and a lot of people are going to use that as justification. Oh, Tevin Coleman's still going to have a role? I don't believe it. He hasn't been good for the past two years. He's averaged, I believe, 1.8 and 1.4 yards after contact. Very subpar numbers. He doesn't make anything happen for himself. And the thing with McKinnon that sets him apart, and we saw it week one, they can flex him out to the slot. He played, I believe, four or five snaps flexed out, especially with these wide receivers, Mm -hmm. hurt, young. He had three receptions week one. Jarek McKinnon, Kyle Shanahan has supported two running backs in the past to be fantasy starters. You look at that 2016 Atlanta offense with Tevin Coleman, coincidentally, and Devontae Freeman. Freeman was the number one running back that year. Coleman was also, I believe, top 24. I don't think Coleman's going to be that second guy. McKinnon, I think, can produce that Coleman-level production that we saw in Atlanta as the number two guy, as a guy who can catch the ball. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Mostert, everybody, guys, he held out for about 15 minutes, guys. I mean, and then his draft stock plummeted four rounds when he did that. It was unreal. It was like the biggest value. He's going to be everybody's like you keep that one keeper in the you know in the round that you drafted. He's going to be everybody's keeper that drafted Mostert. I mean, he's, he's the best running back in a Shanahan offense, the most explosive running back. It defies, it boggles the mind, David. But let me hit you with the line here. San Francisco minus seven versus the New York Jets. Give me San Francisco minus 15. <laughs> but I'm curious. I actually have this game marked as 30 to 10. San Francisco comes back in a big way. I think we'll see two wide receiver sets. I think we'll see McKinnon in the slot because San Francisco has got to manufacture offense. The passing game was hurting. Teams can, can roll up their coverage on Kittle if they don't watch it. McKinnon will uh, keep teams honest there. And uh, both both running backs are starts and so on and so forth. I'm, I'm taking San Francisco, too, to bounce back in a big way. Next game, we have the Washington football team versus the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, I don't have a single—well, I shouldn't say that. Logan Thomas I have as a projected start, and Peyton Barber I have as a projected start, but nobody else for Washington. For Arizona, you got um, Arizona Logan Thomas. I know you're high on that guy. Yeah. yeah. Victory laps. Yeah. Um, Arizona, Kyler Murray's a start. Uh, Drake, we'll see. I mean, I saw him limping off the field. We talked about Edmonds. We're high on Edmonds and his potential. Running back's a start. I only probably start Drake, but let's wait for the rest of the week to shake out. Oh, come on. You're going to sit DeAndre Hopkins like anybody would. Start him this week. Um, Don't have anybody else as a start. We'll see. Washington's defense is good. They're legit. They're legit. Uh, But Arizona's offense is even more legit. Take it away, David. Let's start with my boy. Logan Thomas, right? I already talked about that uh, target share information that I got from JJ. Right. Uh, there were, I believe, what we got, 18 players here who had a, at least a 25% market share through those 1 o'clock and 4 o'clock games. That just excludes the Sunday night game and the two games tonight. Logan Thomas was one of those 18 players to hit a 25% target share. of the targets. And you talk about he was the number two receiver reception-wise for this team. And it just goes back to the fact that he is going to be the number two receiver reception-wise in a lot of games this year just based on necessity. I mean, we talk about Steven Steven Sims. He's a good player. He caught three for 50 himself, but he's not going to command targets on a weekly basis. Dontrell Inman is currently the third starting wide receiver on the outside. Gibson is still coming along. They're working on Peyton Barber, leaning on him in the running game a little bit. 
But for the most part, when they need someone to catch the ball, other than Terry McLaurin, they need someone down yeah. by the red zone to score a touchdown. It's going to be Logan Thomas. He's six foot six, two forty eight, four six forty, thirty five and a half inch vertical. This again, these are from the combine, about almost ten years ago. But this guy was an elite athlete coming into the NFL. Is finally back at his natural position. For you guys who haven't followed him, mm-hmm. he was a tight end coming out of high school, going to Virginia Tech. Never played tight end. They convinced him to switch to quarterback. He played quarterback all four years at Virginia Tech. First three years in the NFL. Switched back to tight end three years ago. Got picked up by Buffalo immediately when he did it. Has improved all three years as a receiver statistically. And this was as his team's number three tight end. He's the number one tight end now in Washington. They need a second guy to catch the ball. He is got to be a priority at this week on waivers. Yeah, my only concern on Logan Thomas and. I mean, he'll have opportunity, but what's 25% of, of 10 attempts from Dwayne Haskins? I mean, this they offense is bad. They I know, I times. know. The yardage is not inspiring 178 yards. There are going to be some low lows, but yeah. there are going to be some high highs. And with a tight end, when you're in trouble, you take the low lows with a guy like Logan Thomas. Say you're late, Ryan. Say you were banking on Blake Jarwin and someone else who didn't hit week one. Right. You'll take what you can get from Logan Thomas going forward. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, he and McLaurin, McLaurin's going to get double covered all season. Um, and, uh, you know, teams will adjust to Logan Thomas, but I agree. Um, you know, basically those are the two people to own. Gibson will come along. He'll be better. But, you know, Arizona's defense showed some improvement. They were helped by San Francisco having three receivers, uh, you know, injured. Their top three, I think, receiving options injured. But Arizona's a legit team. Um, the, the defense is improving. The offense is obviously potentially electric. I shouldn't even say potentially. They just are. I love the system. They're a fun team to watch. Let me hit you with the line. Washington plus seven versus the Arizona Cardinals. Who you got? I mean, Arizona just beat San Fran, guys. Like, we got to start taking them seriously. DeAndre Hopkins is lighting it up. They have two good running backs who can perform. Kyler Murray is looking good. I'm taking taking them easily in this matchup here. Yeah, I don't love the touchdown line, but, you know, Arizona, their firepower, they can score, and I think Washington is going to have problems scoring and keeping up with respect to the Reds, uh, the Washington football team's defense, um, which is legit and it will continue to be legit. I mean, they're well coached and they have great um, talent on the, on the defensive line, Arizona. They're just too much to handle. I'm going to lay the points in a rare uh, point lay something that high, but I will. Uh, let's move to a team that also generally has two teams, uh, Baltimore Ravens versus Air, uh, the Houston Texans this week. Baltimore Ravens look fantastic, and actually, I thought they even maybe came out with a little bit of rust, but still just beat the crud out of the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Houston Texans, I actually thought, played a really nice game against Kansas City, but they're playing the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, it's tough. That's a tough draw, week one. And Baltimore is a, oh, man, talk about two really bad games to start a season. You got, <laughs> you got Kansas know, City Chiefs and Baltimore. And the Ravens. Oh my gosh! The the, uh, the Houston Texans kind of got railroaded by the. Uh... Good. That's what Bill O'Brien deserves. <laughs> he deserves the worst four game start ever and to be fired by week five. This is going to be. It's going to be. It's just. It's tough. Tough draw for Houston. But let me hit you with uh, projections here. Uh, let's see. I think Lamar Jackson. I think I'm as the second rated uh, ranked quarterback in terms of projections. You start him every week. Um, you know, running back, honestly, I'm going to stay away from everybody other than J.K. Dobbins. We saw him get in the end zone twice this week. I 
think his his share of carries will continue to improve. I think he was the most explosive running back on the roster. So I'm going to stay away from Ingram. I'm now moving my starting um, running back over to J.K. Dobbins. I was curious to see when that would happen. Well, it happened in week week one, basically. Uh, receiver, love Marquise Brown. We've been talking about him all offseason. Um, it's only a matter of time before he starts getting two touchdown games, like 150-yard games. Uh, he is... Basically, what Will Fuller was, um, you know, kind of coming out, that explosive guy injured the first year. He has super high explosion uh, capability here. Mark Andrews definitely start. Uh, Ravens, other wide receivers I'm staying away from. Houston, uh, Deshaun Watson, I don't have a great projection, but I think he start Watson every week. I'm not worried about that. Uh, David Johnson, I liked what I saw. I liked what I saw. He looked quicker. He looked lighter on his feet than we'd seen in recent seasons. Um, room for optimism there. Will Fuller, in a week where everybody's uh, ripping their hamstring up, Will Fuller's hamstring miraculously doesn't uh, comes through week one unscathed. Uh, nice target share for him. So I will take uh, him. I'm selling on all other receiving options at this point. Keep an eye out in touchdown leagues or DFS for Darren Fels. Take it away, David. Well, let's just start with my Ravens. I mean, if they didn't play another game this year, it wouldn't be terrible because I could just run victory, victory laps for days. I mean, I, I feel pretty good about my predictions for the Ravens after week one because I always had Dobbins above Ingram yeah, in my right. rankings. It was never a question to me that he was going to take over. And Mark Ingram made my all-fade list for two reasons. In fact, he ain't going to catch the ball. He had 26 receptions last year, and now you add Dobbins into the mix. He had 20 reception, almost ceiling to me this year. In his 15 touchdowns, he caught five on 26 receptions last year. Those were going to be cut in half. You look at week one, he didn't score, he didn't catch the ball. And it just, it's maybe I'm doing the confirmation bias thing here with one game, but it's clear to me. He's not going to, he's not going to be scoring touchdowns at a high rate with Lamar Jackson. J.K. Dobbins now is already stealing goal line work and he's not going to catch the ball. He shouldn't have been on any of your fantasy teams if you're doing it right. But if, you ha- if he has a touchdown this week, you need to get off that train as soon as possible. If you can recoup some of the value that you spent picking Mark Ingram, you need to do it because he ain't going to provide a whole lot for you the rest of the year. Do- Talk about the other... I was going to say very quickly just to add, I mean, you, you watch the game, you see it. Dobbins is the better running back. It's only a matter of time before the carry distribution is going to be completely skewed in Dobbins' uh, direction. It's, it's, we're talking about like two or three weeks from now, it's going to be dominant carries from J.K. Dobbins. It's just how it's going to be. And you talk about the other side. You say Houston looked good to you. They didn't look good to me week one. And about the only guy who did look good to me week one was, I'll say two of them, Will Fuller looked good, and I think David Johnson looked good. But I have some major concerns for Deshaun Watson, not because of anything Deshaun Watson's doing, just because of that Hopkins loss. And I think Brandon Cooks is a good receiver. The problem is the way they're using him. They, If you watch that week one game, they were trying to use him in the Hopkins role. They were sending him deep and trying to give him those 50-50 balls, and that's just not what he does. So I don't know if Watson is really going to have anyone to rely on besides Will Fuller in this passing game. If they don't start using Brandon Cooks in a different way, they need to use him differently than they did week one. I hate the matchup week two for this Texans team. I'm not starting any of them. Will Fuller, bench. Brandon Cooks, bench. David Johnson needs to be on the bench. Baltimore's defense is legit. 
there's a reason we shut down Cleveland in week one, even though Cleveland the past two years has played very well against us in our first matchup of the year. There's a reason we shut them down. It's because that defense is legit. If I have a better, even close option, better than Deshaun Watson, if it's a one-quarterback league, you're definitely sitting him. Super flex, you might have to start him. But if you've got three QBs, like in one league, I've got – I drafted Watson, Goff, and Tannehill. Watson's going to be on the bench next week, and I'm going to be playing Jared Goff and Ryan Tannehill. Yeah. Um Quickly on on David Johnson, and the the matchup's tough. I mean, Baltimore's defense is so good. Matchup's tough. Let me just say one thing. So I mentioned Houston played a good game. I think they played a sound game. I think Kansas City is just so much better than everybody else. I think Houston played a a winning brand of football, especially with what we saw, but they just ran into a buzzsaw. So that's my my thought. I know that Kansas City covered easily, but I think Kansas City's going to cover their spread easily for most of the year. But you know Houston again playing Baltimore. What a what a tough draw. Can you imagine two worst games to start the season? Holy crap! Uh, David Johnson. What? Uh, let me just say one thing about him: the ability to kind of cut, jump, cut, move his feet. His feet were quick, and his vision was really good. So I do like him um, quite a bit. Matchups bad for him this week. But let me hit you with the line here. I know you're a Ravens guy, so try to be unbiased. But is Baltimore minus? I'm taking the Ravens. <laughs> Minus 65, no, minus six and a half points versus <laughs> Houston, Texas. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'm taking the Ravens, too. Um, all phases of the football. They're just they're just a better team, man. They're in a different class. Um, they're in Kansas City's class. They're they're just a little cut above Houston. Houston, really tough draw to open up the schedule. Um, I don't think they're a bad team. I really don't. And a lot of people are going to be selling on them after they probably lose this week. And you're going to start, if you're a better, you're going to start being able to buy low on fantasy guys. You're going to be able to start buying low in, in bets against the spread it's just a tough draw to open the year man but uh you know they showed a little bit of fight against kansas city they're just they're just not kansas city next game on the list we got the kansas city chiefs versus the los angeles chargers oh my oh my goodness i'll hit you at the line in a bit i already know where i'm going on this one okay kansas city i actually don't have a great um line on patrick mahomes but i'm gonna start him he didn't finish in the top 10 in quarterbacks this week because we saw some better numbers but um, Mahomes is a start. Edwards Hilaire, come on. He's a start. Uh Tariq Hill's a start. I know Sammy Watkins had a you know had a nice game. He actually could have had probably two more touchdowns in that game, but I'm he's so streaky, I'm staying away. Kelsey is a start. For the Chargers, I'll start Eckler, and I am sitting everybody else on the Chargers this week. Kansas City Chiefs defense finished in the top ten against the Texans uh last week as well. So we'll take it away, David. Well, for me, this game is huge because, as I said, Austin Eckler is one of the few guys. I had a pretty good week one. One of the few guys who I was coming in high on who let me down. And I don't think it was a crazy letdown. He had 19 attempts for 84 rushing yards, which is very important to see, the fact that he got 19 attempts and was able to maintain efficiency on the ground. That's huge. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. don't overreact to the fact that he had one reception. But it is absolutely a concern, especially when you look at the fact how often Tyrod seemed to be taking shots down the field to Mike Williams. Mike Williams was one of those guys who showed up on that uh, sheet that J.J. shared. And let's look at it. We've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys who had a higher target share than Mike Williams. That's it. Mm. Mike Williams had the eighth highest target. He had 31% of the targets from Tyrod Taylor. So it is a bit of a concern, 
But I think a lot of that could have been game script related. Chargers were playing from ahead the, essentially the entire time against Cincinnati. It's going to be reversed this week. They're going to be playing from behind against the Chiefs, basically the at least the entire second half, possibly more. So it's going to be telling what kind of reception total and target total Austin Eckler gets in this game. If he gets 8 to 10 targets, all's good, and he's money for the rest of the year. If he doesn't see targets in this Week 2 game, it's it's reason for concern, that's for sure. I'm worried about the Chargers. Um, this They're showing me signs that the wheels could fall off. Now, they have Justin Herbert. We're going to see Justin Herbert early in the season. I think we'll see him earlier than we'll see uh, Tua in Miami. Look, I, I agree with everything you said. It's very positive that we saw 19 carries um, with efficiency from Eckler. That's a good thing. Um, and Joshua Kelly, we've been saying on this show for for months now that this offense supports two running backs. Justin Jackson left the game. Um, if you bought on Justin Jackson, which is what I was saying, um, you know, like we're seeing in Indianapolis, I don't think Joshua Kelly gives that job back up. I think Joshua Kelly is your second running back here. He was efficient um, with the attempts and, and uh, the opportunity that he had. We've seen it on film from jo- Justin Jackson in the past, but I think Kelly's gonna pass. I think it's gonna be hard for Jackson to get get Kelly off the field at this point. Eckler, what really irritated me, um, and we talked about. Uh, I can't remember the team we talked about before, but. I think it was Atlanta and teams like changing their identity earlier in this uh, this show. The LA Chargers is Tyrod Taylor, Aaron Rodgers from 2014. Like, what in the hell are they doing? This system in place. I know Philip Rivers likes to target his running backs, but there are design screen passes. They didn't design a screen pass. This is a game that was a slam dunk win for the Chargers, and they needed to get lucky at the end of the game to not go into overtime, and they needed a 50-50 call to not give up the game-winning touchdown. This is a slam dunk win for the Chargers. All they have to do, and I thought this going in, I thought Chargers offense, not a big believer in it, but at least they'll be able to throw some screen passes and get some easy first downs to Eckler or whoever else is that second. And they didn't do it the entire game. It drove me crazy. And Mike Williams, yeah, great. You know, um, uh, Keenan Allen, he's not a guy that separates. He gets He's kind of a target possession guy. I didn't think he was going to be great this season. Basically, I saw what I thought I was going to see from the receivers, and I am shocked that the Chargers didn't try to involve the, the, the running backs in the passing game more. If this happens a second week in a row... That's a cause for concern because it's obvious that they need to do this and they're going to be playing from behind against Kansas City and they're going it's the only way they're going to be able to move the ball with efficiency. The defense is fine, but this is the the classic defensive coordinator that wants to win these games 16 to 13. You got to put points up. I think the Chargers are going to be in for a long season. Anyway, there's my little rant. Again, let let me hit on that just because I'm not nearly as concerned about you, and it it just goes back to what I mentioned before with McCaffrey seeing a low target totals. These teams across the board look to be calling simplistic play calls to get those guys warm, to get them live to contact. And was there any reason to be giving away your, your screen plays, you know, to be giving away these more creative plays? They were handling Cincinnati from start to finish. There was no need to show really any, especially when you got Kansas City next week, a divisional matchup. Start slow. Don't go crazy. Get these guys warm. I think this week is where we should see some more of those screen calls, some more of that creative play calling. But, yes, you're right. If it doesn't happen this week, 
it's a concern. It's a, yeah, and um, and I have Eckler. I'm going to be starting him. I'm not worried about it. Um, you know, at, at least benching him. Like he put up a very similar game to Christian McCaffrey. You know, Christian McCaffrey has the new offense. We're still trying to see how all those pieces are going to fit together there. The Chargers have that continuity. The only thing to change was was Rivers to Taylor. It's just weird. But, you know, there's going to be adjustment. I'm not punting on Eckler. And even if Eckler doesn't grab catches this year, which would suck, but even if it doesn't, he's going to have value as a running back. So it's not like I'm saying sell on him. But, jeez. Anyway, let me hit you with the line. Kansas City minus 8.5 versus the Chargers. Give me Kansas City, man. The Chargers <laughs> barely beat the Bengals. They beat the Chiefs beat the Texans by like what, fifteen? Yeah. You gotta take the Chiefs right now. You don't bet against the champs. Less than ten points, Kansas City. The Chargers will not be able to score enough points to cover this spread. That's that's it. That's it. That's all you need to know. Uh, okay, we're in to say we had two games left in a very long podcast. We are going to break this into two parts. Um, New England Patriots, but it's a fun podcast, damn it. Uh, New England Patriots plus – oh, I, let me hit you. I'll hit you at the line a little bit, but uh, Patriots are getting points. New England Patriots versus Seattle Seahawks, Sunday night football. Uh, Cam Newton, start. Uh, running back, still want to see what happens. I have a nice projection on James White, but let's just wait and see. Uh, Julian Edelman's a start, and Keel Harry I actually have as a start. Um, staying away from everybody else, although I do have a nice projection at tight end, but I'm staying away from New England tight end because I thought you know one of these rookies might have been able to make some hay, and they didn't. For Seattle, I have bad projections just based on how dominant New England's defense has been for the last couple of years, um, but Seattle's offense, man, this is a, this is a Super Bowl threat team, so they're going to beat the projections. They're going to beat the numbers. Uh, Russell Wilson, for me, is a start every week. I don't care who he's playing. Chris Carson, Carlos Hyde, you know, there's some Merck there, but I'll start Chris Carson. He got, you know, involved in the passing game with Penny, um, not active. Uh, the receivers, Metcalf, Lockett, I'll start him, and I'm going to start Olsen as well. I like Olsen. I've been talking him up. Russell Wilson likes to throw tight ends on the goal line and then third down conversion situations, and he did that again yesterday. Take it away, David. With New England, I think the only guy you're starting is Cam Newton. Maybe Julian Edelman in a good matchup. But I just don't have confidence with anybody not named Cam from that New England team, starting-wise. But one guy who I think is kind of a little bit of a sneaky waiver-wire ad is Nikhil Harry. He Hmm. wasn't great in that Week 1 game against Miami. He had five receptions for 39 yards. But again, Miami's got two really good corners. Um, They have Howard, and then they brought in Byron, I believe it's Byron Jones this year, who they paid big money to come in. And Harry, it goes back to the target share. Like, you don't want to just look at the production week one because there are guys who are getting heavily targeted, who are playing a high snack count, who who didn't pop. But just based on the fact they're seeing targets, they're going to have these good games coming up. And Nikhil Harry was one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh. One, two, three, seventh. Mm. Seventh in target share through those one o'clock and four o'clock games. The only guys with a higher target share than Nikhil Harry, D Hop. Devontae Adams, Crowder, Edelman up there, who actually Mm -hmm. I should probably give him a little more credit now. Fuller, Adam Thielen, Nikhil Harry. So as far as the passing game, it's Edelman and Harry command. They commanded 60, basically two-thirds of the targets went to Edelman and Harry. So I think both of these guys, 
definitely belong on rosters, Harry included. Mm-hmm. You know, I was surprised that James White didn't get more, um, you know, uh, receptions, but it is what it is. And when the Patriots waived Mohamed Sanu uh, before the season uh, in their last round of cuts, I thought that was basically a little confirmation that Harry was doing what he needed to do. Remember, he was drafted. Was he first rounder? Um, I believe yep, so. Yeah, last first pick rounder. in the first round. He was pick. injured, so people forgot about him. I think Jacoby Myers might have even outstatted him um, in their rookie seasons. But there was a reason, and that Patriots offense is, is kind of tough, but now you have Cam Newton, who can you know make things happen, play a little jazz, I guess, back there at the quarterback position, um, you know, buy some time if he needs to. Harry's going to have value, so I like that, and I agree, man. Like, it, it's kind of an interesting, it's kind of an interesting game. I honestly, and I have one of my rules is never put your money down and bet against New England, especially when they're getting points. Let me hit you with the spread here. It's New England plus four against Seattle. Who do you got? I like I like Seattle, just because I feel like Miami. What it was a division game, but again, it's Miami. Seattle is a really good team. Four is not a crazy amount of points, and Seattle's offense is hot, man. Like Lockett is good. D, DK Metcalf is heating up. They dropped thirty eight on the Falcons. I don't know if New England's going to be able to keep this to a four point game. Um. Again, I say never bet my money against New England, but we're just pay- making picks here. I'm not going to bet on it. I'm taking Seattle. I think Seattle, for me, of all the teams that I watched uh, last season, I had a very similar reaction to San Francisco when I saw them early in the season last year. Seattle, to me, is the best team in the NFC. Um, I think if I had to call it today, it would be KC Seattle in the Super Bowl. Uh, I respect what New England did last week, but Seattle is a championship caliber offense let's take a look and see what happens this week i'll take seattle for now last game of the week monday night football new orleans saints versus las vegas raiders um breeze is a start kamara is a start michael thomas i don't care what happened last week he's a start jared cook is a start sitting everybody else for new orleans las vegas um car is a sit look josh jacobs i'm starting him but keep in mind new orleans is uh, you know new orleans's run defense is very strong the raiders will stick with it but this is going to be like a three-yard per carry type day for Jacobs. It, it hinges on whether or not he can get in the end zone. I would say the bets are pretty good there. Um, I'm a start on Rugs. I'm a start on Waller. Sit everybody else for the Raiders. Take it away, David. For me, the one guy who stands out for the Saints and is a guy I had a lot of question marks about this year, it's Jared Cook. I mean, I didn't know what was going to happen with mm. this Emmanuel Sanders signing, and I was concerned, to be frankly honest. I liked the touchdown upside of Jared Cook, but he wasn't a guy I was sure I'd be able to count on on a weekly basis. He had five for eight. He was the leading receiver week one with Emmanuel Sanders also catching a touchdown. Drew Brees only threw for 160 yards. Cook had 80 of them. That's half of Brees' mm. yards. So this was a bit of a litmus test for me for Jared Cook, and I think he passed it with flying colors. So I think Jared Cook is a guy who you're probably going to want to get into your lineup on a weekly basis just because of that touchdown upside. So I, I really like Jared Cook, especially the value that he provides. He was going pretty late in fantasy drafts this year. Yeah, you know, New Orleans, um, you, you saw what Tampa was trying to do. They were trying to limit Michael Thomas, and good for them they did that. But you see how strong this New Orleans team is, not only offensively but defensively as well. Um, you know, going to being able to go to Emmanuel Sanders and Jared Cook. Hey, you want to you know, double or triple cover and try to bracket Michael Thomas? Okay, well we'll just throw the ball to uh, to Kamara or to Cook or to whoever else the bottomless um, pit of talent that they have. 
Uh, they're a tough team to beat, man. And the Raiders, look, you know, Josh Jacobs getting three touchdowns. It's not a shocker. But what concerns me about this matchup for Vegas is that their strength, what what they want to do, their identity is an offense. They want to ground and pound. And they'll stay very patient, even if, like, Jacobs is getting two yards per carry. They'll keep feeding him the ball, and I think that's important. But that's New Orleans' strength as a defense. I'm still a start on him, and I like what Ruggs showed in week one. I really do. Um, this Vegas team will get better as they get healthier, uh, but it's a tough matchup for them. What do you think about Vegas? I think you bring up a lot of good points about Josh Jacobs, especially because his three-touchdown game, it wasn't just him going off. Like He went off, but he was doing it in the most friendly running back matchup that there is. Carolina allowed the most running back fantasy points to teams last year, and that's who he faced week one. So the three touchdowns, it was a bit predictable. Let's just start off with that. New Orleans, I mean, do you see him get getting even two touchdowns? I could see him getting one. Yeah. But the receiving usage, it's still not really there for Josh Jacobs. Yeah. Uh, the guy who I like for that team, it's Darren Waller. He was another one of those guys who stood out on the list that I looked at uh, posted by JJ. Mm-hmm. And he had, he was, I believe, t- he was right behind Mike Williams. So he was top 10, 28.57% of the targets. So that's good for him. Um, I don't love the matchup against New Orleans, but I don't think you can start any wide receiver. Ruggs got banged up a, a little bit. He looked good. But again, we don't know what his injury status is. Brian Edwards didn't pop at all. Darren Waller's still the clear number one uh, receiver to me. And actually, I just noticed Jacobs caught four for 30, 46. So hey, how about that? I, I thought he caught less than that. I, I misread that. So I guess I'm a little bit more excited about Jacobs receiving usage than I thought. You know, it's it, one th- one of the things I love, especially as, as a better, um, and I'll hit you with the line in a second, but Vegas, first of all, people are always down on the Raiders um, over the last, like, two or three years. Like, Gruden coaches teams, and I love teams. Tennessee's very much like this for me. I love teams that will say, we are going to run the ball. We are going to stick with it. If we're getting three yards per carry, it's not sexy, but we're going to stick with it because we know in the fourth quarter when we're trying to, you know, basically control clock in that game, um, if we're within a score and we have six minutes left, we're just going to run the ball tirelessly through you, eat up the clock, and, and get that last score to win the game. Vegas does that. Um, my concern, again, I, I'm repeating myself here, but New Orleans, ha- their strength of their defense is that run defense. I think the line, New Orleans is minus 5.5. New Orleans minus 5.5 ha- against the Raiders. Let me just throw it to you. Who do you think uh, is going to win in that spread? I'd take New Orleans. When I laid the line out, I put actually New Orleans minus six. Um, I'm going to take New Orleans to cover here. I think it'll be within an, a touchdown. I think it's good. It's just it's just tough because what Vegas wants to do as an offense is the the strength of what New Orleans does. So for me, they kind of negate each other. And then New Orleans' offense is just so damn good. I know Vegas, the Ra- the Raiders' defense is getting better, but they still give up 30 points um, to a team that couldn't convert, <laughs> you know, in the red zone too often in Carolina. I think they're just uh, the Vegas right now is is outclassed by New Orleans. So I'll take New Orleans to cover that spread. So there you go, bud. That's about an hour and 50 minutes of fantasy football talk. We will be breaking this into segments uh, on YouTube. So check that out. Please like, subscribe, and comment. Ah, uh, man, that's a lot of fantasy football talk, David. 
Oh, I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, everybody. So we'll catch us next week. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to these Monday night games. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're getting a lot of answers to questions. So, uh, you know, we're, we're fast and furious with this thing. Catch you next week. Have a great week. Win your fantasy football games, everyone. Bye.